tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Morning, welcome along to Tip Today, 1800-938-007. That's our free phone number. It won't cost you to make a call. And Emma is looking after the show today. Coming up on the programme, People Power, last minute uh, government intervention, the latest in the casual refugee saga. Strange sounds in the sky are investigated in this week's Conspiracy Files. The importance of how you light your home with Karen Prendergast, her interior designer, our agony aunt, Phil will solve your dilemmas, including an engagement at a wedding. It's a great, great uh, story indeed. And following the death of Friends actor Matthew Perry, we discuss addiction. So all of that, much, much more on the way. We'll also play Tip FM's Match 3 game at some point during the programme. We will give you a cue to call after a little while. Some great prizes on offer uh, there. You can text and WhatsApp then 083 311 You can email tiptoday at tipfm.com. We're always delighted, of course, to hear from you. Let's have a look at your headlines today. The Irish Independent and uh, their main story, the building of 500 new houses in Dublin's commuter belt is being delayed by an adjoining landowner demanding six million to drop objections, High Court papers claim. Explosive new legal documents contain allegations of a planning appeal being used to extract millions from a developer and lodged solely for the purpose of securing unlawful payments. A very interesting story on the Indo today. The Irish Daily Mail and uh, it's just a heartbreaking story indeed. Emily Hans, a grief-stricken father, I know Pat brought you this story during news, has issued a heartbreaking plea to Hamas uh, for her safe return, saying, I beg you on bended knees to please release the children. The Irish Times, and again, a Gaza story there. An Irish citizen uh, trapped in Gaza with his wife and three young children has described their situation as very difficult, stressful and depressing. Ibrahim Alaga. Uh, who is based in the south of the Gaza Strip, said that his children aged eight, four and three are always asking for food or water that we don't have. Also on the Times today, we're reading that the state's healthcare regulator raised uh, significant concerns about all nursing homes run by the private company Apparee Living, which cares for about 500 vulnerable residents, warning some of its care homes were in crisis. And finally, let's have a look at the examiner. And their lead story um, is about the tarnished to Hall Martin because he has rejected suggestions by the Chinese ambassador that Ireland is succumbing to American and European fever. In China, on the first day of an official visit, Mr. Martin said that the comments by the Chinese ambassador do not stand up. And again, that story of Emily's father begging Hamas, please release the children. Also... Very worrying story again. A further four road deaths uh, yesterday, including the loss of those uh, two teenagers in Donegal. I mean, there have now been more than 10 more victims so far in 2023 than in the whole 
of last year. So this is uh, very worrying, as I say. But the Minister, Helen McEntee, says that she's absolutely committed to reversing the trends. So we'd like to see some action on that, wouldn't we? That's uh, a look at what's making headlines today. Again, if you want to comment on any of that, 83 There was huge reaction to the news that 74 refugees were due to arrive in Cashel at some stage of today. That will not happen now after discussions took place throughout yesterday and into last night. About 100 people gathered on John Street in the town last evening to show their opposition to any such move, claiming that there had been no consultation on the matter with the local community. Liam Brown uh, convened a meeting at Holland Fela on Sunday night where there was an attendance of over 500 people and he joins me now. Good morning to you, Liam. Good morning, Fran. How are you? And I, good morning to the listeners. I'm very well indeed. Where are we now, Liam? And <clears throat> what happened yesterday that reversed this decision? Um, okay, where we are now and what happened yesterday. I suppose, look, um, the elected representatives who were at the meeting on Sunday night went away with a bit of a flea in the rear and they kind of realised that the people of Cashel were not happy about the decision, they were not happy about the lack of consultation and, and more so the lack of information. So they suppose they got on the blowers and people like ourselves in Cashel got on the blowers yesterday to try to find out more information and to see what we could do to put a pause on this and make sure it didn't go ahead last night because from 11 o'clock yesterday morning people began to gather in John Street and I have no doubt that they would have been there till, till now if, if they needed to be. But in the afternoon we started to get murmurings that there was a pause going to be put on but people continued to gather outside John Street. Uh, I went down there yesterday evening. A statement came out from Martin Brown, the TD, my uncle. Uh, Jackie Kell and Dick and Burgess put a statement up on his website to say that they had been told there was going to be a pause put on it but the people remained in John Street because we weren't sure what a pause meant or how long it yes. meant or did that mean that there was more discussions going on. So while I went into the meeting myself in around half seven last night, I met Deputy McGrath, Deputy Matty McGrath. We met the people, we talked to them, we tried to find out the data here and they were looking for information off myself and Matty. So while we were at John Street last night, we contacted Joe O'Brien, Mr. Joe O'Brien, mm. Minister for Social Protection, and Joe, firstly, get myself and Matty. We, we spoke to him. Um, a ninety-nine per nine, uh, sorry, a ninety-nine per nine point nine percent guarantee that there would nobody be coming uh, last night. So we told him that that wasn't going to be good enough. We needed a hundred percent guarantee. So he said he'd go away and he came back a half an hour later, and he told us that he would give us a hundred percent guarantee there would be no one coming tonight or today. Uh, and then we just clarified that, and we got that we got that in right enough, Joe. So we relayed that back to the people who were there and we told them this is what we have from Joe so far. Now, it's, it is only a pause. It's not finished. And Joe said that there are going to be more discussions about a, a reconfiguration if anything needs to happen, that this may still go ahead in the future. So to that end, we kind of put together a small... Well, we didn't not yet but put out a, 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 asking for people to join mm. the committee so that we could keep in touch for the future and have the ability to keep communicating to people because... Obviously, we can't complain about not getting information from the department if we're not giving information out to our own people. So we're kind of going to put together a small committee and keep an eye on the politicians and keep an eye on the department and make sure that we get information from them. And as soon as we get that, then we'll give it to the townspeople and let them know what's going on. Uh, I, uh, during the conversation with Joe, I asked him, is there a possibility that we can get either himself or somebody from his department to speak to a committee? And he said we would. So I'm hoping to do this early next week. 
but that's where we are kind of at the moment. Right. So we're talking about a pause here, essentially, Liam, but no guarantee that this won't go ahead at some stage or other. Is that just just for clarity? Is that is that's, that where that's we are? The position that is the position, Fania, is simply a pause. Uh, Joe told us in the conversation that one of the reasons they're pausing it is because the department were not aware that there was homeless people being in the hostel been looked after by Tipperary County Council so I think there was a bit of a a test a test between the County Council and the department that you're moving vulnerable people from one uh, government resource and putting in more vulnerable people into it didn't make sense because now you're going to be left mm. with having to look after the homeless people and like I think the biggest one of the biggest things that has become an issue here is this is probably the first place in the country where asylum seekers have been moved into a place that have directly displaced Irish people in, in practically every other situation, we were going into hotels, we were going into mm. convents and other places that were empty. And was, was that pivotal to the, the turnaround, do you think? I think, it, I, think, I think it was certainly pivotal to the pause anyway, yeah. Yes. You, know, you, were, you were putting Irish people, you were literally putting Irish people out on the street to put in asylum seekers. And Tipperary County Council have had words with the department about that. But it, it, it looks like one hand isn't talking, mm. the left hand isn't talking to the right hand or it doesn't know what the right hand is doing, which is absolutely bonkers mm. in this day and age where, where we have so many but means how, of How did that happen, Liam, in terms of, like, what sort of due diligence was done that, that they didn't understand that, you know, that the hostel was being used by the local authority? How, how did that happen? Well, that's what would make you wonder, Fan. How did it happen? But it is also, it's also kind of almost proof that when these decisions are made, nobody seems to go and find out what impact it's going to have either on the resources themselves or more importantly, the local community around them. It seems to be, say, somebody goes up and says, look, I have a property, I can take 10 people, and somebody in Dublin goes, brilliant, 10 people, off you go. Nobody comes down to a, a local community and find out, you know, a building can take 10 people. But the local community may not be able to take yes. in people. And to explain that, that there's other things that, that come into come into account when you take these things. Like local GP services, one was mentioned, but not just local GP services, but you know, translation services, literacy skills yes. services. Schools, the idea that you're yeah. Your, yeah, yeah. Schools, when you're talking about families, you're yeah. talking about schools, you're talking about, you know, Garda Station. The Garda Station in Cashel is closing um, next month, I believe, for the best part of 12 months. And yet there was a huge amount of fear at the meeting and didn't have to explain to people in Cashel, well, not only is there a huge amount of fear now, but in a couple of weeks' time, there won't even be a guard station in town. So the government and the government departments, they all seem to act almost as completely independent countries from each other. Nobody seems to be talking to each other. And it just seems to be, if I get the problem off my desk, yes, it might end up on your desk, but then it's your problem, it's not mine. Right, but it does, it does show the kind of desperation there is there in terms of housing these people who are coming in, you know? It, it does, fine, but I'm, I'm going to say something now, and it's not going to sound, it's not going to sound um, too PC, but I think people are fed up now of PC language and people not being able to say what they want to say because they're afraid of, of being accused of being uh, un-PC, let's call it. Yeah. There's absolutely no point. These, these 74 guys, and they were all males, mm. and it was said on your programme yesterday that they're not, their families and the Ukrainians. Look, we've seen the documentation from, from the department. Mm. I put that up on my website. I'll stand over anything I put up on my website. I said that yesterday. Yes. I spoke to PJ Quinlan yesterday. Mm. I will stand over anything. 74 males, they are someplace now. They're, they're in, they're in, they're in this country, yes. Yep. They're in City yep. West. They're someplace now. If they move from the place they're in now into Cashel, they will create 74 more spaces in the place they're in now. 
and those places will be filled and then they'll have to go someplace and then same thing will happen over and over again. Now, if I had a boat that had a hole in it, instead of trying to figure out what I'm going to do with the water in the boat, the first thing I'll do is I'll plug the hole and let's, you know, stop making the problem bigger. And this is what seems to happen. The problem seems to be getting bigger and bigger and bigger. We have got to, at some stage, say, look, if we have an issue with putting people and housing people in the country as it is, there's absolutely no point in taking in any more. And you, you can talk about, oh, we have obligations, we have international this, we have international yeah. that. If we don't have the resources, fine, we don't have the resources. Do you know what I mean? That's yeah. it. You, 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 know, you, you play music with Muriel in halls. I'm sure you know, there might be 500 people want to go and see you and Muriel play. There might be room for 100 people in the hall. You can't keep putting people into the hall after the hall is yeah. full yeah. because it becomes a danger to not just you, but also the people who are already in there. And Liam, and do you, do you think what happened in cash? I mean, as you say, and again, I'm just very clear about this to people, this is just put on pause. But this is precedent, isn't it? Because this is the first time that I know of anyway that there's been a change of mind, essentially. Um, I think so. Uh, I think it is, yeah. And and that that was said to me, and it was it was discussed that it's one of the reasons that the government will try to push through this because they don't want to set a precedent. But yeah. look, somebody has to stand up. Somebody has to stand up someplace, and somebody is going to stand up someplace. So we've often said, where Tipperary, where Tipperary goes, the country follows. We put mm-hmm. our stake in the ground here, and we said no, not now, not here. And another thing, people say, oh. It's, it's nimbyism. It's, no, it's not in my backyard. Mm. So let's be clear about that. That is pretty much exactly what it is, Fred. Not in my backyard. But not just because I don't want it here. I don't think it should be in any other community the same way. It shouldn't be in anybody's backyard that people simply arrive at two days' notice without any resources, without any knowledge, without any consultation. That is what drives people mad. The biggest problem mm. we had over the weekend people coming on to me and I've had huge numbers of messages. I can hear them coming in as, while I'm on the phone. It's lack of information and mm. people constantly looking for information. And that's what's happened nowadays. It seems that let's get the problem off my table onto somebody else's table and let them deal with it. And at some point, somebody had to say, no, stop. The, you're, not the, going, you're not going to do anything the, we're told. The other happened. thing that was highlighted, though, by this discussion and by your meeting is that there are other issues of antisocial behaviour in Cashel and there's other issues that have people being fearful, Liam. Yeah, it was. And unfortunately, and I spoke to Donald Davern last night. Donald spoke at the meeting. He's the chairperson of the Residence Association in John Street. Yeah. And he told me I didn't have to do it, but I'll do it again publicly. I'd like to apologise to Donna and the residents on John Street for not knowing the extent of the problem that was there. Mm. It was horrendous. I mean, the, the stories that Donna said about what's been going on in John Street are absolutely horrendous. And there's a whole range of different departments who've allowed that to happen. And we're talking departments that people mightn't even think of. The planning department that allowed the, allowing what's going on in John Street without proper planning. Mm. The local guardie, and I'm not going to have a go to local guardie, they do a fantastic job. Mm. But they'd be, they, they may as well move the station up to John Street from what we've been hearing because they're up and down constantly. And when that's happening, mm. you know, you're taking away those resources from someplace else and, where and they you, might be better. So, you and I would have grown up in Cashel. I remember John Street was probably the quietest street in, in the town and the most... John, Street, John Street, yeah, John Street yeah. to anybody who knows it, is, apart from the Moor Lane up, up, in, up, in, up at the Rock mm. and Dominic Street, John Street is the oldest street in the town. It was a wealthy street. Mm. It was a well-to-do yeah. street. It has absolutely fantastic people on it. 
Be- beautiful townhouses there, yeah. Every single building, I looked at this over the weekend because I had no choice but to look at it. Every single building on John Street is a protected structure. Yeah. They all date from the 1820s and 1830s. It was an absolutely beautiful street. But to hear what I've been hearing over the last few days, and it's it's so, so unfair on the residents. And it, it's not only that it's unfair, there's no point to us saying it's unfair on the residents now and then not trying to do something about yeah. it. Yeah. But I think what has come from the meeting that it happened Sunday night and last night, and the residents came out on the street and said to us last night, thanks very much for doing this for them. And they shouldn't have had to do that. I mean, residents shouldn't have had to come out to a, you know, a bunch of the people on the street and say, listen, thanks very much for keeping them safe. Mm. It's not our job to keep people safe, but it is a community's job to look after each other. And, and do you, do you think, Liam, that the people themselves have drawn a line in the sand here now on not, so, not yeah. just the substantive issue, but, but issues in general in the town, that, that people are no longer going to sit by and allow yeah. things to happen to their town? Yeah, I do. And I mean... Uh, we're putting a committee together or people have got on to me they'd love to be honest and I think that that committee is going to like it's going to start highlighting things beyond just this one particular yeah. problem because there are other problems in Cashel there's a lot of other problems in Cashel and they are going to be highlighted very soon and I think people are now what people are finding is, is they don't need to be afraid to say that there's a problem and I think that's what was happening people were afraid to say there was a problem because they didn't want to put their head above the parapet because they'd be shouting, they'd mm. say, oh, you can't say that and you can't say mm. this about this community and you can't say that about the other community, whereas the whole town knows there's a problem. Now, I've been on with you fine often, and I often say, me and you can agree to disagree, me and the other guests can agree to disagree, but today we're afraid to say something. Yeah. If, 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 if I'm wrong in a debate, absolutely, I have no issue. If somebody can tell me how I'm wrong and why I'm wrong, and I have no problem changing my opinion about anything, some people don't want to change their opinion. I will change my opinion if I'm given better information by somebody. But when we get to a stage, Fran, where people are afraid to talk in the first place, then we have a problem. And that's been a problem in Cashel about more than this issue, about other issues. And people know exactly what I'm talking about, but I'm not going to go into them because yeah. we're, we're discussing this issue. Mm. But I will speak about them in the future. But there are other issues in town and there's antisocial behaviour. There's issues around the graveyard. There's issues around uh, housing and uh, problems yeah. in different parts of the town yeah. that we need to talk about. There's no point in saying we will leave it to other people to talk about it. If we don't talk for ourselves, these things will not get solved. Okay. Well, we're, we're looking forward to talking about that in uh, uh, the future. In in the meantime, the, the the absolute next step then is what? It's a waiting game at this point then, uh, isn't it? it it's, now, it's now a waiting game. We will put together, like I said, we will put together a small committee, hopefully over, well, over the weekend, no, because I'm actually away in Germany for over the weekend. Yes. But over the next couple of days, people have come to me we will meet with the, the minister or the department in the next couple of, in early next week. We'll find out exactly where they are. We'll find out hopefully what their plans are going forward and then we'll deal with what their plans are. It's very hard to say what we're going to do, but what we are definitely going to do is make sure that this is not going to happen the way they expected it to happen last weekend. Absolutely no way. All right, Liam, thanks for talking to us again today. Thank you. Good morning to you. You're welcome, Fran. Anytime, no problem. That's a local activist in Clanmel there and the man who convened that meeting on Sunday night, Liam Brown, speaking to us there. 1800 938 007. 
Tip Today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Oh, you're very welcome back to uh, Tip Today. When Ellie was in Cashel yesterday, George spoke uh, very eloquently indeed about the issues and uh, he joins me again now. George, good morning to you. Morning, friend. How are you? I'm very well. And thank you for coming back on with us again today, George. But you spoke so well yesterday. We were just interested in your take on the most recent development. I guess you're you're happy about this, George? Well, effectively, what we have now is a pause. But, like, the the issue is certainly not resolved, you know? Yeah. Um, We just have to keep an eye on things and hope that things will go our way. But, like... It's very clear from what's happened so far that the people of Cashel are implacably opposed to this proposal. They're not happy in any way about this. And uh, a lot of people are very, very angry about this. Given that we're living in the information age, I don't know where the government are at or the government departments are at because information is, like, I mean, there's just simply zero available. But even the fact that they put a pause on this, George, is that not an admission anyway that there was a breakdown of communication even between the local authority and the department, not to mention anything else, you know? Well, absolutely, because as we understand it, that uh, and I think just to reiterate what Liam said, Irish people were effectively thrown out onto the streets to accommodate people coming in from another country. Now, that's the reality, as unsavoury as it sounds. But that, that is the reality, and that is completely unacceptable. I think anybody, any, any reasonable person would, would believe that that's, that's just not acceptable. The, the other thing I put to Liam there as well, and I think it emerged at the meeting, George, and I know you were in attendance at the meeting, there are yeah. other issues um, in Cashel as well. Do you think at this point Cashel people are now saying enough is enough, we're standing up to these other issues of antisocial behaviour and other Well, maybe this, will, maybe this particular issue will provide an impetus for, for that, but um, I think people, although that might be in the back of their minds, the other issues, I think this one has taken precedence over all the other issues because this is so immediate mm. and needs to be resolved immediately. The other issues, I suppose, are for another day, if you know what I mean. Mm. Yeah. Were you, were you surprised that they turn out on Sunday nights uh, at such short notice? Um, I think, just to, to, to briefly talk about that, um, the, the political representatives, I, I, I think, were caught on, on the back foot. And credit to, to Liam Brown again, because he seemed to have his finger on the pulse of, of the feelings of the people of Cashel. And it was actually him who called the meeting. And mm. I, I think it was very remiss of our political representatives that they hadn't their finger on the pulse. They're obviously out of touch with the people. And, I mean, some people might be following party lines on this because, you know... Well, that's absolutely true, and that was clearly evident at the meeting, you know? Mm. Because people, as, as Liam uh, rightly pointed out again, and I'm going to quote him again, they're afraid to say things mm. because of political correctness. And I think the time of, as Liam also pointed out, the time for political correctness is long past when these issues are, are at the stage they're at. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I mean, this may set a precedent for the rest of the country, George, because to my my mind anyway, this is the first time that there's been even a pause and a turnaround like this, you know? Well, I, I, I wouldn't be familiar with or off with other, or other places and what's happened there, but all I can tell you is, is, is that um, I'm hoping that this does set a precedent because, like, uh, 
like I'm, I'm again I'm reiterating lean stop I mean how how many more people can we actually take in from other countries and let's be fair about it our country has been more than generous and we have we've, we have always seen that in every respect where charity is concerned we're always uh, in the higher echelons of, of giving if you like yeah. and we have taken in more people per capita than a lot of other countries and it's worked fine but there comes a place called halt I mean, how many more people can we take? Is the border open forever? So, like we now, our current population in Ireland, I think, is uh, 5 million. What do we do? Do we turn it into 10 million, 20 million? Where comes the point where we say no further? Well, even the Tonishta and the Taoiseach at this stage are beginning to say that, you know, well, there's there's a certain amount of capacity and that's where we're getting towards that now. But you the know? capacity, we're long past the capacity, it would yeah. appear, because they've nowhere to put these people and they're just shoving them in on top of communities like Cashel who don't want it yeah. and are not prepared for it and don't have the resources to deal with it. Like, I mean, how, it's very clear. I mean, none of, none of this is, there's no ambiguity here. It's very, very clear that we don't have the resources, nor do we have the desire to house these 74 people whom we know nothing about. And that that's evident from from the turnout and, and, and from what was expressed yesterday in John Street as well, too. Absolutely. And, like, I just want to refer, and I hope this doesn't sound sexist in any sense, but females in Cashel are particularly worried. Yeah. And that was clearly evident as I walk around the town and meet local ladies, women and girls. You, you've heard All, this yourself, George. Yeah, you've I heard, heard this from them. Straight yeah. from their, their, they've spoken directly to me and they have expressed their fear and anxiety in respect of what's proposed right. here. And I think that's completely unacceptable to have our women folk in Cashel, or any place else for that matter, living with that kind of fear. And could I ask you, the people that you've been talking to and the people that have been expressing their opinions on this, these are ordinary, decent people. These, these, Absolutely. These, the these aren't the people with, with no... They don't have agendas. They're not racist. Absolutely they, not. They're not political. You know, Listen, these, you could search Cashel high up and low down. I don't believe you'd find a racist. I don't know any racist in Cashel. Like, people are using these terms in, in, in an effort to stifle real debate about issues of real concern to people. And, like, labelling people with that with that term or others, is just an effort to try and distract and try to deflect from real issues of concern to people. And that's absolutely outrageous to kind of anyone that would make those allegations about the people of Cashel. The people of Cashel are the salt of the earth, the best people you could ever meet any place, anywhere. George, really good to talk to you today and we appreciate you taking the call. Thanks very much indeed, George. Thank you. That's uh, George in Cashel. Uh, today, 83 311 Temporary men living in Dublin now. John, good morning to you, John. Uh, good morning, dear friend. How are you doing? I'm very well indeed. Uh, you're kind of looking in on this from afar, John. I'd love your, your opinion. Yeah, like, I'm kind of listening to Tip, um, Tip FM and kind of listening to what's happening down in Cashel. And... You know, it kind of reflects really what's happening in a lot of other parts of the mm. country, but it's not particularly been reported on, I feel. Like, fair play to the people at Cashel for kind of standing up and, you know, kind of fighting their corner, because a lot of the time these issues are kind of being dealt with without any consultation with local people at all. They're just being kind of pushed through. And then 
when there's a kind of a pushback, like in Cashel, the few days there's a bit of, oh yeah, we'll take things into consideration. But then, unfortunately, probably in two or three weeks' time, it'll be back to square one again, and you'll have your 74 people coming into Cashel, which is a big, a big, a big kind of a number of people. But Fran, the point I'm going to make here is really about the cost of this mm. and the huge amount of money that is been kind of washing around related. I was just reading there something like 800 million in the first six months of this year and for the entire year it's going to cost something like 1.76 billion. Like these are colossal sums of money. So it can sh- it shows you exactly why so many people are want to get into this kind of business of housing, accommodate, accommodating people. Mm. Like just, give, I'll give you some figures here and they're me, they're staggering figures. Since the start of 2022, the City West Hotel, which is we're all familiar with, driving up and down from Tipperary, they've got 60 million from the government. And another hotel not that far from it, which you're all familiar with as well, the Red Cow, 37 million. Like, these are huge sums of money. And, you know, if I was a businessman, why wouldn't I get involved in that kind of thing? Of course. I mean, business is business, obviously. And, you know, sometimes hotels or businesses like that are seasonal. And, you know, like if they're offered huge sums of money, sure, they're going to take it, I suppose. Too, yeah. You know? Yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that's exactly it. And there's another new hotel open right beside Dublin Airport. I think it's the Holiday Inn. I think it's the second biggest hotel in the country. And that's getting like $2.1 million per month. Mm. It's for accommodation for people, so it's not actually a hotel anymore. And like this, this is the kind of um, thing. There's just huge money to make in this. But is it short-term thinking? Because I mean, eventually, uh, if not already, it's going to harm our tourism. I I don't know, Fran. I'll give you an example. There's a place in Clondalkin, which which isn't too far. Don't don't name names for me now, but yeah, yeah, Yeah. yeah. and in a refugee centre for. I think about 20 years. Mm. And I just looked at those figures released there a couple of weeks ago to some dog committee. And that place is getting 383,000 a month. And it's been getting that for 20 years, probably. Like, that's not seasonal. That's mm. kind of... A month? Wow. Okay. A month. Yeah. And that's probably for the, the guts 20 years. And, and John, when when you hear from government about you know international obligations on this and EU obligations and all of these kind of things and the United Nations, like what do you make of that? The fact that we have obligations. Well, I think we probably well, we do have obligations, and obviously Ukrainians and all of that. But I think we're probably being a little bit on the generous side, which seems to be attracting people here. And I don't blame people for coming here. Yeah. You cannot blame them. Our government sent out an open invitation to people to come here, promising them kind of money and medical cards. Like, why wouldn't they come here? Mm. They're mad not to come here. Like, I'd come here. Mm. Yeah, those the benefits. Like, you, you have as good a benefit as anyone who's actually from the country. So, no, it makes perfect sense for these people. They're kind of good initiative. They can get up and get here. They can get through kind of the border very easy and then turn up, apply for asylum and go to a system that doesn't work. I'm like, you know, you can't blame these people. And what sure. what do you make of the general discussion then that, you know, if you do voice 
certain concerns even even if it's just a concern that you you have a brand then you're you're right wing you're you're racist you're this you're I, I think that's that is a major issue with people at present and it's across the country you talk to anyone on a normal level you'll hear the same kind of opinions as you hear on tip fm but if you listen to rt1 rt2 kind of the more mainstream stuff you just don't hear these opinions to the same extent and i think they're you know like people something to do with kind of you know it's just the sheer cost of it and you know it's like the country is absolutely jammers at, pre- at present basically with people and like i think there's 800 people coming through a week i've seen that which seems probably on the low side so that's 10 or 12 casuals coming in every week so no, like how long can you keep going doing that and the the fact I'm not sure what part of Tipperary you're from uh, originally. You might want to say that to me, John. But I'm just wondering: are, are you surprised at how the people of Cashel have stood up on this? You know, in in, in big numbers. And no, I'm not really. I think that the smaller places tend to be more focused on these things. Sometimes the bigger places, they're kind of big suburbs. There's not the same community feel. To not all the time, I would say there's a great community feel in lots of places. But it's probably not as focused, you know, like maybe a thousand people coming into a big suburb isn't as noticeable as maybe 74 coming into a small town. Mm. You know, and like yeah. the numbers are huge, like even in, like I said, like places like the Red Cow is something like 600 people there. Like that's a lot of people. Or is, or sorry, is, uh, yeah, I think Holiday Inn is 600 people. I think the Red Cow is actually 871. Like that's a lot of people. You know, like it's it's a big business. It's a huge business. And, you know, and, and when people talk to you as well and say, "Okay, this is all fine and very well to be critical of this, but it could well add to our diversity here. It could add to, I don't know, just going forward. It might enhance to if we embrace all the cultures. It'll be helpful to us. What? What? You know? Do you see anything in that? Well, I, I do notice one thing at present is the sheer um, pressure it's putting on things like doctors, schools, mm. transport, all of those kind of things. You know, like we need to get the infrastructure there right first. And like that's that's probably the key thing for most people at present. Like, if, if you try to get a doctor, it's practically impossible. Like if you have a doctor, you're all right. Mm. But if, you're, if someone's starting off, I'd say it's a good, you have a good very little chance of actually getting a doctor in a lot of parts of the country and that's a big big issue and like schools as well where I, where I am in Dublin like schools are absolutely creaking we've we've, we've have, we're having thousands of houses and apartments that's all around us but yet there's no schools being built or anything like that and that's crazy kind of stuff Oh, it's a, it's a interesting to hear that perspective. John, really good to talk to you today. And thanks for listening yep. to us in the capital. Thanks very no much. Bother, thanks, John. Bye-bye to you now. Bye-bye. Bye. That's a temporary man, John, living in Dublin, tuned our way. 1800-938-007. Loads coming into us on this. Let me just bring you one, though. Jackie is from Cashel. And Jackie says, um, it's like this now, Fran. 
it's time to stop painting roses around areas of life that's uh, clearly not there. Casual people speak the truth. Casual is full of antisocial behaviour, disrespect and intimidation. Seriously time for change for the better. I'm a casual woman through and through and I'm appalled by the changes I see on a daily basis. Respect to Liam Brown and all casual people. Bring back the true meaning of life. Respect to all old ways are the best ways and that's Jackie who's in casual today we'll take a break back in just a moment Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry in association with Slattery's of Facon Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer Slattery's Garage Facon the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County Slattery'sGarage.ie and you're welcome back to Tip Today, 1800-938-007. The text and WhatsApp is 083-311-3311. We're always glad to hear from you. Helen joins me now. Helen, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very good indeed, Helen. Lovely to talk to you today. And Cashel, Helen, what are, what are you making of what's been going on? Well, when I read the news first on Matthew McGrath's page about what was proposed, I was absolutely horrified. It showed to me the the level to which the Department of Housing was going to stoop, that they would, as I have called it on my page, they were ready to make Irish homeless even more homeless. At, and and they, these people become homeless to uh, to how to put a roof over asylum seekers, 74 male asylum seekers. And it was all done with, well, maybe they're Ukrainians, maybe we're not too sure where they're coming in, and lots of little, you know, trying to give information, but backing away from it and bringing it in over the weekend so that no government department could be contacted, and possibly so that people wouldn't be able to get together and be able to activate and show that they do not want this to happen. And, and were you sneaky. surprised that people managed to, you know, get together with very short notice um, and uh, make their feelings very, very obvious, Helen, you know? Not one bit surprised. I was involved with the water protests back back in the years and I saw what County Tipperary did and particularly Cashel and Clonmel. Cashel was astonishing back then. It's a wonderful, it's a small town, it's a wonderful town, and the people have pride in their town and in their, they have great spirits. So, no, I wasn't one bit surprised. Um, people power then, I mean, you, you speak about the water protests. People power does work, I guess. It does, yes. And the government would like to try and cut our claws so that we can't activate maybe fast enough to to. Um, make our voices heard on these issues and they were they were taken by surprise I say at the speed at which Cashel reacted mm. uh, you know the same thing happened and it was uh, Carrick and Short and it was Clamell and Cashel when we protested against the closure of and care against the closure of AIB to cash services mm. and yet again that was put on the famous flipping pause and this has happened again. This is on pause and it's waiting for the good people of Cashel to have their backs turned and they'll sneak these guys in. And you, and so you, you believe that it's on pause, but, you know, you're not sort of, you're not optimistic that this is going to not happen. I think they're going to make this happen. They just said it's under review. Mm. It's, I will put it on pause for now. Yet, and nobody is going into that hostel 
while this review is going on. So it means effectively that the homeless people who are given emergency accommodation in that hostel Mm. will not get that either. They're on completely, they've been wiped. I mean, to think that our Irish homeless Mm. were evicted from a homeless hostel Mm. to make room for asylum seekers from another country and well, there's no we're, way we're any not certain department. we're not certain that people were actually evicted but it certainly would mean that these places were not available to people going forward but is it not very strange to you Helen that you know here we are with a huge county we're a huge county and we're depending largely on a couple of hostels like this to to home our homeless like it's that in itself I think is just crazy you know I think it is disgraceful and I just wish that the verve and energy that our government is putting into providing houses for the refugees and asylum seekers, if they could put one-tenth of that energy into providing homes for our homeless, it would be wonderful. Mm, that vision and that creativity, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There are over 3,700 children, Irish children, homeless. Yeah. Yeah. That is completely unacceptable. And anybody who thinks that it's, well, well, no, we'll still have to look after the, and the list, and then I'm, I'd be called far right-wing and racist because I'm saying, look after our own. I'm saying, look after our own too. Yes. We can now see that government has not only no intention really of doing that, but our Irish people are now going to be completely wiped and told, well, actually, you're so unimportant, you're second-class citizens. Anybody coming into this country is far more important than you. All right, Helen, thank you for talking to us today. Thank you and do look after yourself. That's uh, Helen there. Let me go to uh, Pat now. Uh, good morning to you, Pat. Good morning, Fran, and to all your listeners. And uh, good to talk to you today, Pat. You've, you've been listening to some of this uh, controversy. and uh, what, what are you making of this, Pat? Well, as Helen said, like, um, and this is right across even the opposition parties, the whole lot, they are proven one thing that they can actually do it. They can re- come up with housing. They can find housing where we don't even know where it is. They can uh, construct um, modular homes and everything. But unfortunately, it's not for our own. So these, uh, I've said it numerous times on your show, these representatives need to get this on board. The people of Ireland voted for them, put them in there. They're working hard every day, paying their taxes, paying their high salaries that they give themselves rises every so often for. They need to get this on board. It's the people of Ireland that put them in there, not these people coming from abroad. And I've said this before, I'm classed as being racist, I'm classed as being fair right. Anytime you oppose this plan that they have to invade this country with all working people, bring them, they're supposed to be now, and I did say this on your show before, and I have no problem in saying this morning, I walk up and down Cash Road each day, I don't see anybody uh, stricken faces uh, fleeing from war. And then you even have the Gaza situation where they're talking, our politicians again are talking about all the Irish that are out in Gaza. If they're, if they're Irish people and we made them Irish, what the hell are they doing out in Gaza? So, like, we need to get a grip of this country. This country are electing idiots to run this country and all they're doing is running it into the ground and all they're doing is humiliating the Irish people that voted for them and stand by them. And this is right across all the parties. Every one of them are in this together. Every one of them are 
signing out of this. And I said all this before this all started because I knew the politicians that ha- we have and I knew what's the deep down in them uh, does not want a bit of substance in any of them. And I said all this before all this started that they're going to make a political football out of this and they have made a World Cup out of this. They have humiliated the Irish people with what they have done to this country in, in invading this country with all working class people. Get, allowing them to work. If they're fleeing war and they're in this distress mode, they wouldn't be even able to work. So they're painting them as one thing, but they're think, portraying them as another. I don't think, Pat, that that's necessary necessarily true, nor do I think it's necessarily true that you could judge from somebody's countenance whether or not they're distressed uh, from well, a I war situation. But maybe they're happy because they're outside of a war zone, you know? I mean, maybe you, you know... To be honest with you, the footage that I see even from gays, I see stricken people. I see people with fear in their face. I see people living in fear. I don't see any of that. Um, and I, I'm looking at reactions mm. and I'm looking at the happy-go-lucky. They're going down the long. They're in the Treasure Island now to have landed on and everything is go, go, go. But unfortunately, with all this plan they have put in place, the Irish people are just being pushed to one side. And this is right across every party. There's nobody can put their hands up and say that they haven't, they're not part and parcel of this. Um, because this is disgraceful. We're supposed to, and I said it before, we're supposed to have opposition parties. It's terrible that the people at Cashel had to make a stand on this and say enough is enough, that our politicians are standing by, uh, filling their pockets and our colleagues there mm. and getting thousands out of this. This is, a disc- this is a real letdown and it's a real eye-opener for the people of this country what's really running this country. They're running it into the ground. And the obligations that they would talk to you about for looking the after... The obligations are to our own, the people that voted them in. Yeah. That's the one obligation yeah, but, to have first but You see, we're not isolationists. You know, you know, Pat, we're not isolationists like that. I mean, we, we have to take into account that we are part of the uh, EU and we have certain global, like, uh, responsibility, you know? We have... But when we're talking about obligations, we're talking mm. about when we get our own... Um, place in order. Then we can worry about uh, worrying about the rest of the con- world. You know, we're we're there and we're worrying about people in gas and we're worried about this and that. And there's people dying on our streets, dying in road safety um, uh, situations, and all this stuff. And none of it has been highlighted. All it is is about anybody that's not Irish. We highlight that it's a major thing. We have to go around the world with all these meetings and worry about everyone in other, every other country around the world. But forget about our own. Our own just fire them to one side. Do you think how big an issue is this going to be? I mean, we, we next year we have local elections, we we have European elections, seen. we have a general election possibly on the way then as well. How big an issue will this be in the? This will be a serious issue when this really kicks off. Because I I said to you before, and I can see the master plan in all this. And the master plan in all this is our own will be just put to one side. We'll actually be foreigners in our own country. And the people that are coming into our country, as is happening at the moment, will be looked after housing-wise, everything. Why, and you'll why see would that be, Why is that in the interest of any government? Why, why it's in the be? interest of the greedy people that we have run in this country. They're not happy with over 100,000 salaries. They want to be stuck in this, that and the other. And they're in with... Uh, 
hotel owners that have run down hotels, they're putting people into offices that don't even have fire certs, that were never fit to live in. They are office spaces, and the reason they were vacant is they weren't even fit mm. for offices, and they fired them in. But this is all about money. So they don't give a top yeah, about but the But they would say to you in. that this is an emergency situation. Emergency. You know? There's an emergency going on in this country, and they don't seem to see it. There's going to be, uh, when this really kicks off now into the master plan, and I said to you before, I don't want to go into the doom and gloom of what's really mm. coming down the, the line with this, but the serious stuff. And like in Cashel, people are just mm. saying, the end, we have enough. But you know what? So what's see- interesting is, Pat, and you know, a lot of people have voiced similar opinions to yours on this programme, and uh, we're delighted to give a platform to everybody on the programme. But uh, what you're saying to me is not bearing out in, in opinion polls for political parties, for example. It's not. It's not bared now because we have a media that's controlled and it's all, that's the media we have. And RT is an example of that. No, RT well, I, well, I'm not us. controlled, Pat. We're having this conversation. No, you're not controlled. And as I said, in fairness to yourself, and this is across the board with a lot of the local radio stations there, they give an honest view and they allow people like myself and others to come on. And this is brilliant. But I'm talking about the mainstream media uh, and even newspapers. I have this opinion. I've said it to you before. Anything you read in the paper should be fact. Unfortunately, it's not. Uh, so we're being fed in certain ways. Like even the Ukraine war, is there one word about that? There's not a single word about it because it's basically, um, I have problems with it. The, the, what, the fact that Gaza has taken over the front pages? Is no, that no, it? the Ukraine war. Um, oh, the Ukraine I believe war. it's all, right. all just for, uh, made up. And of um, course, that's, just, that's, that's a whole other discussion, Pat. Um, it is, but like, there's not one <clears throat> word about it. So like, this is the yeah. media, um, are getting back to what our media are feeding us. They're feeding us an opinion that there's a serious war going on there, that there's this and that, and these people are fleeing. It's given an excuse. Now, as I, what the problem I have with this country and an awful lot of the European countries, it's all been dictated by the European Union and the main person in the European Union is the German um, uh, input in this. So they're dictating the way this country is run and what we should do. Well, and well, all this well, the way their own economy is going, they might be better off to look to themselves for a while. Pat, I well, must leave it there because I'm heading towards news. But thanks very much for coming on uh, with me, Pat. We appreciate it. Thank you. Good morning to you. News is coming up. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Pat, uh, welcome back to the second hour of uh, Tip Today. Just uh, to remind you, we will be playing our Tip FM Match 3 game in association with the good friends at Stakedom's Home and Hardware and Stakedom's Expert Electrical. We do it five times a day on all the various uh, programmes, but we'll be doing it ourselves here in just a while. If you want to register your name, your details, please, to 083-311-3311. And if you want uh, to put Match 3 at the end of your correspondence with us we will pop you into the draw and I will call somebody back very very soon indeed. Uh, Glad to be joined now by Councillor Shami Morris from Nina Good morning to you Shami. Good morning friend. And uh, good to talk to you today you had concerns when you heard about the use of the hostel in Cashel uh, being changed from housing um, homeless Irish people from time to time to uh, a, a different a different situation, Shamey. Will you explain to us how important a hostel like that is? 
Yeah, look, I'm dealing with a homeless situation, a, 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 a young girl that's working, a, a mother, a mother, who's also minding her mother, who has Parkinson's, who in the last number of weeks has been told by her landlord that um, I'm actually at distance about 8 o'clock this morning uh, because she is at, the, the life is frightening over her because she's facing homelessness. The landlord is selling the house. There's a myriad of reasons why landlords are getting out at the moment. But one of the places that if people were unfortunate enough to have to go to emergency accommodation, and it's happening more and more, we've had 166 presentations of homelessness to Tipperary County Council in one month alone. That's just one month. And one of the places that, that we we in, in, in Nartiv, and we're a united county, uh, have, we've been sending people to Cashel. Uh, I know of several people have had to be, have to, to be sent to Cashel um, um, for emergency accommodation. There's very few, very little emergency accommodation around, around, the, around the county as uh, you know, mm. bed and breakfast up and down the country yeah. are doing well. They're doing well because you know there's building going on and all the rest of it. So they don't they, they don't deal with with homeless accommodation anymore. Um, so Cashel became a very important uh, part of our uh, ability to deal with homelessness. So when I heard this, I I, I actually couldn't believe it. So I straight away I sent an email to it was actually Sunday, and I want to thank Cor Morrissey for coming back to me on a Sunday. I didn't expect it. Now to be honest with you, I sent an email uh, to find out when. The county council knew about it, and they were informed by, by the, the, the owner of the building that uh, from that that from this week uh, that the, that building was no longer available to us as the as a place where we can put our emergency home centre. And it, it, alternatives, then. I mean, if that was to be the case, then alternatives are what, or are there alternatives? Alternatives, Jamie. There are no alternatives. But again, I, I think we have to strip this back a bit, Fran, and we have to look at the whole IPAS um, uh, situation yeah. where, where international protection is, is afforded to people coming into the country claiming to be uh, perse- persecuted in, in, their own, in their own land. We, at the moment, have two very, very naive and very dangerous ministers, uh, green ministers, in, in Joe O'Brien and Roger Gorman, where they have naively allowed um, 22,000 people come to this country because we became the, uh, a very, very soft touch where people were arriving at, at Dublin Airport or whatever airport they were arriving. 5,000 of them in the, in the last year or two years arrived, arrived with no travel documentation. In other words, they got on plane wherever they got on with travel documents. By the time they came to uh, passport control in Dublin Airport, the travel docs were gone. We've been accepting those people into the country at huge rates. We have had and we've 22,000 people in the IPAS system at the moment in the country, costing 18,568 per person. We have an increase of 14,000 people since 2021, since these, these two green ministers, uh, ideologically driven green ministers. Well, uh, their uh, government, put, their government decision. I mean, it's a oh, collective decision, Jamie, you know. I absolutely agree, and I'm going to get to that, Frank. Yeah. Because when, when the people of East Wall woke up one morning to... to, uh, to Busloads of of refugees been bussed into an ESB uh, an ESB office in the East Wall, and they protested and protested and protested. To be fair to them, they tried everything to get their message out there. Mm. They were rounded on by Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, Sinn Féin, and Labour. Well, it got they very nasty. On. In fairness, it, it there, did, you know? and and actually, it, 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 those people in East Wall were literally um, labelled right wing agitators. And the same thing happened in Inch in County Clare, where, where a building, where a building in the middle of nowhere, was was being used for the same thing for people being busted in. And again, when the, when the locals, and this was driven also by the national media front, the, the, the locals were 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 rounded on. So I'm asking, 
Declan Burgess and Roger Kennedy and all the, all the people of Sinn Féin and Labour in Cashel, do they, do they regard their own uh, citizens that are that are protesting against this, this right-wing agitator? Because that certainly has been the, the narrative for the last number of years. But what's happened is the government have done the figures. Now, belatedly, they've done the figures. And they've realised that there's a, this is costing the country a massive amount of money. Between that and uh, the, the, the uh, temporary protection of, of Ukrainians where, where we have, and, and I think rightly so, we've, we've, we've allowed uh, Ukrainians to come in and get international protection or, or temporary protection in this country. But what, what has happened is, Fran, we, on top of that, we also have 22,000 people. i give an example. Uh, of those 22,000 people, 3,449 from Georgia. 2,586 are from Algeria, where there's no wars going on. Okay? Just 2.9% of, of, of Georgians that have applied for, for acceptance have been have been accepted. And just 10% of Algerians have been accepted. So in other words, there's a failure rate of 97% and 90% respectively. So in other words, these people are coming into the country. They've more or less been, been, been encouraged to come to the country by two naive ministers uh, in, supported by, by their government. And here we have the situation now is where where the, the places, are, the holding centres, we say, in Dublin, have become um, very full and they're looking for places to be shoved into. Now, I also want to say, Fran, we had success in Pocahon. Okay, there was something similar uh, due to happen in Pocahon, but the people of Pocahon, and well done to uh, Councillor Joe Hannigan and to, and to Dara Egan for putting, uh, putting the committee together, they very quickly um, uh, got on top of it and... Well, between one thing or another, we, the, the fire chief was brought into it, and, and the fire chief said he couldn't give a fire cert to to, be, to touch cottages with with only with no back door. So that's that's how how to get out of that. So the the people moved down. But what what happened is these people have been moved into working class areas up and down the country. Sorry, they've been moved in almost overnight. Now I will say the county council knew about this since the twenty third of October. Okay, so it wasn't unknown that this that this is happening. So there had there had been moves afoot, and and were before. county councillors aware of that? I can't believe for one minute, Frank, the county councils weren't, weren't aware of it. I cannot believe it because, I mean, this thing... This because thing we're, we're hearing, you know, councillors saying they weren't aware of this. I, I, I can't believe the county councils weren't, 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 weren't uh, told by someone in the council that you know, there's something happening here now. You're going you're gonna to face a bit, a bit of, a bit of flack. Um, so, oh, is that, is know, that the way it works, that there would be a leak of something? Uh, of course it would. I mean, we, we knew, for instance, that, um, that the people in Pogon were coming well before they were coming. So it gave people an opportunity. But Fran, I want to, I want to talk about the modus operandi, mm. where they actually, where the, where the departments, where the government departments now are deciding that the, there should be no engagement with the law, that they should frighten the absolute crap out of people, so much so that, well done to Liam Brown, by the way, for putting the meeting together, that, you know, five or 600 people attended, frightening the living life out of people um, without any prior engagement. And again, Nina Municipal District is a great example of how we could, we could set up a committee uh, in, in Borsa Cain. We said there was a committee set up in in, in Pocahon. The people, uh, the, 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 the IPAS people in, in Borsa Cain were accepted. They're very much part of the community. Mm. That was done with, in, with engagement, a multi-agency engagement with, with the department. But they decided after that, that that they didn't want engagement. That the way they should, and this is this is done with government knowledge and government nod, nod and wink, where they where they're going to um, give people no option but to, no option to be able to 
uh, get themselves organised and they're going to move yeah, people but in. But you see, if, they're, way, in, if uh, they're in the position, Shamie, of allowing these people in, they, they have to house them. And, uh, you know, if they do consult, let me play the devil's advocate on this, if they do yeah. consult with communities, communities are going to say no. So this is their only option because they've allowed themselves to get into this situation. Fran, there's no I-pass uh, people in, in Ballsbridge and Dublin are some of the leafiest places up and down the country. Yeah, these are international maybe protection uh, maybe, maybe, maybe beside government ministers' home, there's no, there's no I-pass people. But they're being shut down into, into working-class places up and down the country. And of course there should be engagement. If a developer wanted to develop uh, something in the middle of Cashel, and he was looking to put 74 extra people in, into Cashel, there would be reams of, of, of uh, planning laws that you'd have to abide by. First of all, you'd have to know, was there, was there enough school places? Was, you know, was, yeah. was the garden station going to be open? Um, was there, you know, was there going to be... And, you know, you're putting 74 males that are going to be scratching their backsides morning, noon and night, hanging around the place. And we've seen it up and down the country where people are hanging around the place. It's nothing to do. And eventually trouble comes to them. Let, let's be honest. And, I mean, if you put 74 young people from East Belfast probably into the middle of Cashel. You know, the same thing. You know, it's, it's, it's natural for young people to get bored. But to put them into what is, from what I'm hearing, is, is, is a very settled um, area, area of Cashel. Yes, with a lot of elderly I mean, people on that street. And, the, yeah. the department didn't, didn't give two halfpennies about the people of Cashel when they made that decision to sign a contract with, with, with the owner of the building. And, you know, the owner of the building is entitled to do yeah. and make as much he's, money he's as, as business, he wants. of course, yes. As yeah. he wants. Yeah. And I mean, but at the end of the day, he wasn't too worried about the people of Cashel either because he knew what he was signing. So what I've said, what I would say here is that this is government policy. This, if, if the 74 people don't go to Cashel, they could end up in Nina or they could end up anywhere else and people will have two days to, to, to organise themselves and mm. probably on a Saturday or Sunday night before they're moved in. And, I, and what I will say, and as I know this for a fact, that the only reason it has been stopped at the moment is not because uh, the government feel they're doing the wrong thing here. But the fact that they, they're claiming that they didn't know that this was accommodation was being used for emergency accommodation. So what I'm hearing is, is that they're trying to come up with a hybrid option where you have some refugees and some homeless people. So that's that's what they're, com- they're coming up with. So they're, they haven't gone away and, and decided not to bring people. And is that your, your understanding of the thought that's, process that's my, that's, that's my understanding of it, of it, Fran. And that's what they're thinking of. Because as, as I said, the, the owner of the property, quite entitled to do what he wants with his private property, mm-hmm. is being paid from from yesterday. So the department will won't want to be going off uh, paying one one person and uh, finding out and going off and getting another person placed and paying that as well. So while this is supposedly on pause, you're saying to me this is what we can look forward to down down the road, some sort of a hybrid, <laughs> yeah. Well, this is what I'm hearing, this okay? okay. Um, obviously, they're looking at the planning of the building, but the building has been housing people up to now. Maybe there's on the planning, I don't know. But at the end of the day, that's how we stopped the one and put on. It was literally down to the fact that I that one of the things that, that happened was I asked the fire chief, could he guarantee uh, a fire search for, that, for those buildings? And he couldn't. Interesting. But you did know ahead of time about that. Oh, we knew, we, we knew right. ahead of time because, look, to be fair... I don't think we're not seen as people that they were anti anything because at the end of the day we worked a, we worked a really good uh, system in Bursa Cain. and by the way the Bursa Cain one is expanding at the moment. Yeah, uh, they're yeah. taking in more people. But huge, huge one, one success the story did, there. Yeah, one of the very simple things we did there, Fran, was we asked that when people got refugee status that to be left there 
in the community. Yes. You know, rather than bringing yeah. people in and out and be in and out and, and you know, so that's one of the things. And I can tell you that, you know, those those young children actually have gone on to be absolutely top um, uh, students and, and look, it, it has worked and actually we're yes. quite proud of it. But and and in Carrick and sure the provision centre down there integrated extremely well with, with the it local did. community uh, as well. It yeah. did, but fine, it, it can work if yeah. people are given an opportunity to work with it. But I, but it's a different situation when you're bringing in 74 people Males. Uh, almost Males. overnight. It's just, I mean, I don't know how the government think they expect, they expect people to accept this up and down the country. And as I said, for the last number of years, the narrative had been to turn on, on communities that were standing up for themselves. So again, I would ask Fianna Fáil, Sinn Féin and Labour, do they feel that the people of Cashel are right-wing agitators as they had accused people up and down the country of being? Well, it's important to point out, I suppose, though, Jamie, that, you know, people who were genuinely um, protesting in some of the situations that you, you mentioned there as well, there was infiltration by certain... There was. Far-wing, to far-right types. One of the things I cautioned um, um, you know, my Facebook post was for people to cash to take ownership of this yeah. and not allow any any outside. And, and that's, that's what, what happened in Bursa Cain big time as well. Was, they, no, I tell yeah. you, friend, it wasn't yeah. easy. It yeah. wasn't easy because these people came in roaring and shouting. They did. Uh, claiming all I sorts remember. of things. And, yeah. and uh, I have to say, I remember Joe, Joe Councillor Joe Hannigan squaring up to, uh, squaring up to a, a right-wing um as a supposed politician. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> I thought yeah. there was going to be trouble in the hall that night, but to be fair... Uh, we won the crowd over. Uh, they trusted us, and and you know we did the right thing. But it, it, again, it's a little bit different. That we, we were talking about families, fam. Yes, you know? of course, yeah. And and yeah. they've they're well integrated now into Borsa Cain. Yeah. So anybody that speaks about people like yourself uh, speaking out and calling you right wing or I mean, you can point to success stories like that and say, you, you know, when it's done properly, it it can work. I can, friend. But you know what? To be fair to Matthew McGrath and to be fair to Liam Brown, and Again, myself, I haven't been afraid to find this stuff out over the years, and I have been called all sorts of things. And you know, when you're explaining, you're losing. Sorry, when you're arguing with someone on Twitter, you're in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> so, so um, I, I look come here. I stand by my my principles. Liam Brown stands by his principles. You know, Matthew McGrath stands by his principles. And this, he, he, you know, we have a government at the moment that are that are, that are breaking the country. Yeah. Uh, with, with with the fact that they that, that we've come to hu- a huge soft touch for people that are landing in other countries and either they're being bussed over to Ireland or they're being encouraged to come to Ireland where it should be dealt with in the place that they landed in the first place. And is that message getting across at this point? I mean, there's a bit of a turnaround where government is, is concerned, talking about capacity now and the like. Are we getting to a place where there's a bit of a turnaround on this? We're pulling up the handbrake now, Fran. We are. Um, um, I mean, there was four and a half billion put aside in the budget for yeah. for refugees and for international protection and and and, uh, and Ukrainian ref- refugees. I think with the, the fact that the uh, that the budget is, is beginning to get stretched, I think the government are belatedly pulling up pulling up the handbrake. But but here we are, a couple of days later, trying to push uh, seventy four single males into, into the centre of cash. All right, Shamie, thanks for your time this morning. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Good, good morning to you, Independent Councillor there in Nina. Shamie Morris speaking to us, 1800 938 Okay, lots coming into us on this. Let me have a glance through it and I'll bring you some of it in just a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Now, welcome back to Tip Today. It's time for this. 
Tip FM's Match 3 Game. Tip FM's Match 3 Game. With Stakelum's Home and Hardware and expert electrical at Racecourse Road, Thurless. Stakelum's.ie. And Geraldine is with me. Good morning to you, Geraldine. Good morning, friends. And good, good to talk to you Thanks. today. Where Whereabouts in the county are you, Geraldine? I'm not in the county. I'm in Tullerone, County you, Kilkenny. Oh, very good. Well, it's lovely to talk to a Kilkenny well, I'm, woman. I'm a Tipperary woman. Are you? Well, from Ballingarry. Well, we'll forgive you then for moving. Forgive <laughs> me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. How are things with you today, anyway? Good. Good, good, Geraldine. So you know the story where this is concerned, do you? You have to match three boxes. You're going to open I three do. Boxes, I, I know. You, yeah. you know it well at this point, I'm yeah. sure. All right. We're going to give you an opportunity then to pick a box between one and 90. Um, number two. Number two. Let's have a look at number two. Okay, the box is open and it's telling me that it's a Canon 3-in-1 printer and scanner and copier and it's to the value of eighty four ninety nine. I'm told now. Eighty four ninety nine. Uh, yeah. yeah. So another another box for me, Geraldine? Um number twenty two. Number twenty two. Let's open that box and see what happens. I'm afraid it's not a match, Geraldine. It's a Bose Sound Touch Mini Bluetooth speaker, and it's worth 124 euros. So it's a considerable prize there. 124 euros. Yeah, so, I knew I hadn't matched when I had the first one. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, well, that's a pity. But I'll tell you, just to help out other listeners, will you choose a third box for me? Uh, number forty. Number forty. Let's see what happens when we open that box. <laughs> It's a nice prize as well. It's a Russell Hobbs Air Fryer. So again, I'm sure you'd like to win that again. Uh, Sadly, no luck today, Jerry. But will will you will you play again at some point? You will. I will. I'll try again. Yeah. All right. Would you you like to say hello to anybody as you're on, Jerry? Sure. Anybody that knows me and Paddy in Newtownina. All right. Very good. Lovely to talk to you, Jerry. And well done to you. Thanks very much today. Thank you. Tip FM's Match 3 game. Unwrap an early Christmas present from Stakelum's Home and Hardware and Stakelum's Expert Electrical at Racecourse Road, Thurless. Shop online at stakelum.ie. Match 3, win the prize. Tip FM. And don't forget, of course, Stephen will give you an opportunity to play Match 3 during the lunchtime show and then, of course, uh, right throughout the day with... uh, our own and uh, Carol as well. Some gorgeous prizes in there in association with our great friends there at Stakelums. All right, we're going to uh, we're going to take a break, I think, and we'll be back with more in just a moment. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip today on one eight hundred nine three eight double o seven. Time for interior design now, and she comes bearing gifts. So, uh, hello to Karen Prendergast. How are you, Karen? Good morning, friend. And nice to see you today. Listening. Lovely yeah. to be here. Uh, you're going to talk to us about lighting uh, today. You have a beautiful mood board, and we'll talk about that in just a little while as well. The importance of lighting, you often make reference to it, Karen. You know, and I suppose I'm often conscious thinking, I'm saying sometimes with interior design, it overlaps all the time because there are simple, basic rules to make a room work and very important is the lighting like I would say I was in two jobs last week um, one being a hallway and one being a kitchen so I went in for consultation and uh, the hallway it was just have a look around the house give them my ideas and whatever the kitchen I'm going to take the kitchen apart after Christmas and revamp it okay but it was the lighting 
was the first thing I noticed that we could improve on. Obviously, we were proven on a few things in yeah. each area, but the lighting makes all the difference. So people can have old spotlights and they can still use the same um, holes, the same unit, but change the unit. Um, lighting is everything. And I was just talking to one of the lads outside in the hall and he was looking at the mood board and saying, my God, like, you know, the different pictures and the whole lot. One type of lighting is not going to work in one room. You need a few types of lighting different. in every room. Different types of lighting. Okay. So that's what I'm going to talk about yeah. today. I just have a few tips that I'm going to give a quick spiff and then we'll talk mood yeah, boards yeah, and questions sure. and colours and lighting <clears> and the whole lot. So the importance of lighting in interior design. So when it comes to designing our living spaces, we often focus on furniture, colours and decor. However, a really crucial part that can make or break the entire ambience of a room and how you work that room um, is lighting. Mm. So lighting in the interior is not just about illuminating a room. It sets a mood, it creates a welcome atmosphere, it highlights and curates your space. So it's much more than just switching yes. on a light. Yeah, It can transform a room into being cosy, um, being an office space, being a, a room that you need daytime lighting and you need nighttime lighting. So you need, you know, um, a lot of lamps maybe. If mm. you have a big room, you might need a couple of lamps in that room, not just one lamp. So it's so, so important. The right lighting can create, as I said, different modes. Mm. It can evoke different emotions. Like if you have, you know, nice dim lighting in, in, in your bedroom at nighttime, there's a better chance that you're going to not have to get out of bed to turn off the, yeah. the light switch, yeah. first of all. And second of all, get you in the mm. in the position for a better night's sleep. Well, my the, sleep is very bad, friend. So, yes. you know, the lighting would be a big thing in my room. When I turn to my left-hand side, I have two. I have a reading light and I have a wall light. And I have a centre light. Um, but most of the time, the centre light never gets pulled up, put yes, on, unless yeah. I'm rooting in my wardrobe but, but or whatever. There, there is a difference between practical necessary lighting and lighting, mood lighting. So we say necessary lighting, yeah. mood lighting, task lighting. Yes. Um, so I'm going to touch on those. Mm. Um, so, for instance, bright focus lighting in your kitchen ensures that your kitchen is functioning and it's efficient during meal preparation, during, you know, breakfast time, during whatever. So... Enhancing the aesthetics. How have you noticed? Have you ever noticed how well a room looks more vibrant and appealing? Lighting can enhance all of that by drawing attention to, for instance, features like um, pictures on the wall, on the wall yeah. um, or different focal points. So, lighting can enhance a beautiful pain, a painting, and it adds both depth and character to your home. And it's a pity we can't show the mood board here because all, everything I'm explaining is yes. on that mood board to see, isn't it? And uh, do you know what strikes me about the mood board is, are we normally very conservative yes. about lighting? Yes. yes. I think that yes. we are, aren't I we? think we're conservative. And I think the other thing is, we get used to maybe the lighting that we've always been used to. Yes. For instance, you could be living at home and you're moving out and you're um, getting an apartment or you're building a house and whatever, and you still don't think outside the box. So yeah. sometimes when a person's doing up the room thinking, how much is the kitchen going to cost? How much is the flooring going to cost? I need a new switch to furniture. I'll just change that lamp and I'll throw another lamp in the corner. So the lighting most of the time is overlooked. Mm. And I suppose, and I've said this before, what I find about lighting is it's not, in my job, it's easy. But for the normal lay person mm. it's not that easy find lighting 
and some lighting is very expensive. I would imagine so. And as well as that, and and it's a bit like furniture too, what looks great in a showroom, Karen, may not necessarily work in and your it, hall and again, or in your if, living room. If you're in a lighting showroom or a lighting or, you know, yeah. um, so many different options. chain stores yeah. and they have the lighting, of course they're in big warehouses, yeah. big huge high ceilings. You might see a lovely chandelier or a light fit and you think, I'd love that when I bring it home. It doesn't fit. Yes. And then, of course, you have the different type of bulbs you have the different colour bulbs mm. and if you're doing up a room and you're putting in spotlights you want your spotlights if you're going for a warm colour in your bulb you want to make sure mm. that the lighting in your lamps are a warm bulb But why we need somebody like you is I'm just looking at the kitchen here and I'm looking at the light fittings if I saw those light fittings in a shop, I'd say, no way in the wide earthly world would I buy them. And still, I see them here in the kitchen, yes. in situ, and it works brilliantly. And it works. So again, um, I think one of the questions today, Per covers this, um, when you're buying for your, whether it's your bedroom, because my favourite picture on that mood board is a bedroom, mm. as it happens. But, and it's a very small bedroom, but I love it. Um what kind of a fit am I going to buy? Am I going to buy chrome? Am I going to buy brass? Am I going to buy gold? Am I going to buy white? Am I going to buy cream? So again, if you're fitting out a room or if you're changing even your lamps, mm. you need to look at what else is in the room and match what else is going on the room. Don't go off on a tangent. So every single... There's 12 pictures on that mood board. Every picture is coordinated. Mm. Mm. So it's like I'm saying, if somebody's going to buy a carpet, buy a fireplace or buy a couch, anything individually, you need to look at what already is in your room. How do interior designers work? They look at the whole picture. They listen. They understand what a client is looking like and they try and give that to them within their budget. And it, and it's never about budget, but within mm. their budget and within... And I always try and give a person the look that they love. I'm never trying to change their yes. mind. So if I go into somebody that has a traditional look I'm never going to try and sell them modern lighting mm. you know I'm going to always be giving them the look that they like and right, finish but even within that there are options I absolutely yeah, there yeah, are options yeah. so again if we look at the mood board there are so many options available but it's always about making the space feel more and a couple of things that struck me that I'm kind of a little bit surprised about because I thought it was gone out with the Indians um, the, the notion of the lights over pictures yes I, I thought that that was very all much so. In and is that back it, again? It's back. It's always been there. But I think again for somebody like me going into a house, and if maybe for instance I'm looking at um, a bungalow, right. okay, or a dormer, and you've got very little light going down to maybe three or four bedrooms, so it's going to be three bedrooms minimum, and the bathroom and the hot press. So yes. you're looking at all those doors down a dark hall. So immediately what I'd be saying is I'd be looking at do they have any radiator covers in situ? If they don't have if they have radiators and they don't have any radiator covers in situ, they should put radiator covers in situ because a radiator cover will allow you to create a space on the wall that you can put pictures over, a picture or pictures or a mirror and you can put some kind of lighting there and you can dress that radiator cover. Also, if I'm looking at a very dark hall, the first thing I'll do is put a mirror down the bottom with a small table underneath it and somehow I'll get a lamp there. But going back to answer your question about the wall lights, if I'm going in on a refurb or a start of a job and I have a chance, I was always, always putting a couple of wall lights in the hallway. That's it, because we have one at the end of our hall and I was going to get rid of it because... Yeah. But if you, you know, updated just, that light fitting, yeah. it might give you better type of light than you already have. Very interesting. And again, I'd have to say, from the whole mood board, what I'm getting from this is 
if I saw the lights in isolation, I wouldn't use it. And I'm thinking of the, the breakfast bar the, the, with yeah. the high stools. Yeah. The lighting really works well. But if I saw that in a shop, I'd say, no, that wouldn't work well. And I think, and I, I take you up on that point. I'm on a job at the moment. I'm almost finished, but there's quite a lot of, uh, I was on the job for an awful long time and a fabulous house. And the lighting was, was obviously, the fittings were one of the last things to be done. But we got great value and it was to be able to see, I suppose, the finished product. And like you're saying, it's not easy for you or a lay person to see that, but yeah. it's much easier for me to see and understand. And often I'm yes. I'm looking at Pinterest and I'm showing people pictures on the phone and I'm showing them mood boards and I'm trying to find a picture that's going to be very similar to what their finished room is going to look like. So they can get a picture of it, friend, before they decide to go ahead. Mm. Yeah. And, and I, I'm looking at your favourite one, which is the bedroom. And again, we all assume that the light fitting has to be dead on in the centre of the room. Not, it's it's not, not in this case. And it works beautifully. It works beautifully. And I think there's a lovely wall light lamp on that as well. Is it a wall light? Is it a lamp, bedside lamp or is it a wall light on that? Because friend has the mood no, board. No, no, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's free. It's in it's, the ceiling. There's a centre one. Yeah. 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 But um, again, going back to that point, one source of light in a room is never going to be enough to make the room look special. Okay, you need several. You need several, and, you know. And do they need to be matching in some way? There should be a, a common thread. Okay. And a team that brings them all together. So that might be what they're made of. Yes. That might be the bulb that you use. So it's always thinking the whole room out and not doing one piece of lighting in isolation. And funny enough, I'm seeing nothing with a shade. Is no, and the shades, of course, shades are there, and some yeah. people would just. But it just have so a, happens here. That yeah, yeah, in yeah. in 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 what I've put up, but yeah. shades are there in all colours and shapes and sizes, and they're fantastic. If all you've got is a, a a light pendant in the middle of the room, that can work very well as well, because sometimes you don't get the opportunity that you can do some of the things we were talking about this morning. You have what you have, and then it's down probably to lamps mm. to add. You know that ambient feeling and that coziness and the whole lot but for anybody that has lighting existing and maybe it's 10, 20, 30 years old and going back 25 years spotlights were really really common mm, yeah. it's time to upgrade them and change them and what are you, but not the notion of the spotlight but there's better the notion, fittings, but better fittings, better fittings, better fittings right. and more energy efficient now right. because um, years ago I remember when I built my first house um bulbs kept blowing yeah, I, think I, I, had, I think I had maybe nine on one side and eight on another so it was an awful lot of bulbs now they didn't all blow together but it always was one blowing yeah. and they cost a fair few quid to change them and the hassle of getting up in a ladder or not a chair never a ladder to change it but um, the light fittings now um, you, they might be a little bit more expensive to buy but they're an awful lot cheaper to run ok right which, which you know so just to finish that. up really on, on that friend just to say that lighting plays a significant mm. role in the how you see the size of a room and um, mirrors are great reflective surfaces Mm. if you have a light near it and never ever underestimate natural light Mm. ever yeah very good now all of this uh, you're going to put this up by the way aren't you on your own side I'm going to put it up on my Instagram page um, later today and my Facebook page um, the mood board so everybody can see what we were talking about today it all looks very expensive to me is it? no no. It's about shopping around. So you can go into a lighting shop and you can set your heart on one lighting and a, a centre light maybe and it could be anything from 500 euros upwards. So the key is to shop around. 
Right. The key is to know the right places to shop for lighting and um, I suppose to getting somebody like me and I'm not here to to promote myself or anything today but to get getting somebody like me saves a lot of money in the long run if it's even only for a one-off consultation mm. because mistakes can get made and they're costly. And what, you can overpay by can overpay. a long shot? Yeah. yeah, because uh, Antoinette was on to us from Rose Green say you called in uh, last week and you were very knowledgeable and they really appreciated it's your, great to your, hear. your, your Thank advice, you for that. which, which yeah. is very good indeed. All right then, will you take some questions, of course I will. please? The listener says, I will be repainting the interior of all the rooms in my house uh, on uh, colour. Uh, what colour would you suggest for the walls? Um, as everybody knows from listening to me, um, I never can pass subtle it's a great colour another very good colour so that's subtle S-U-B-T-L-E and again if you google that you'll, you'll get the, the colour yes. and you'll get a little uh, piece on explaining the colour as mm. well another great one is temperance it's T-E-M-P-E-R-A-N-C-E and what, what sort of colour is that? I'm going to hold up the colour right. chart and show you so that's temperance so what would you call that? I would call that a stony colour okay um, subtle is underneath that it's a stone colour but there's a tiny hint of grey in it mm. oyster bed is very good Mm. Um, so when that question is what colour could I put throughout my house so I would be picking base colours with good undertones that anything they buy will match mm. so if I started to go in friend I'll open up to these these creams that are have a hint of yellow in them and a hint of gold in them they'll be much harder to match up okay. so everything that's around mm-hmm. in the shops at the moment these three colours that I've mentioned are very good if you're buying furniture buying flooring and trying to do up a room from scratch. All right, very good. And the whole, you would paint the whole house I would paint in the, whole the same colour? So quite often I paint the whole house in the same colour. Right. But we might pick out one room. We may pick out a sitting room. We may pick out um, a bathroom and do so, or a downstairs loo and do something special in it. But generally, um, I don't always pick the same colour every place, but it's a good idea um, starting out um, to put the one colour everywhere. But right. in, Years ago, when I worked in a paint shop, I sold magnolia all day long. I'm allergic to magnolia now. Are you, yeah. What about the ceilings, though? White. I white. Again, I would always say keep your ceilings white unless you have a special ceiling, um, yeah. a special height or whatever. Keep your ceilings white. Timber work can be um, the same colour, can go on the timber work as the walls. But again, white is a great neutral and works in most cases. Mm, yeah, it's interesting seeing on your mood board, uh, there's a dado rail. And then timber underneath. I, again, I thought that was going to be No, with the absolutely no. not. And there's another one on the mood board, friend, that has wood uh, wall panelling on the whole lot. It's kind of a green colour. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I beautiful. love that. That's beautiful. absolutely gorgeous. I'm on a job at the moment, actually, and we're doing the whole hall in that panelling. And um, the, Actually, the dark hallway is my favourite. It's just it is. gorgeous. I put that in. I put one or two in there, genuinely, because I know your taste and I know you love them. And yeah. then I've got one or two in that I love a lot as well. So, you know, good, horses good, for courses. Good, good mixture and all of that. Uh, listen, says, I'm putting in a new kitchen soon and I'm looking at door handles, light fittings and a new tap as well. Should all of these match colour-wise, like all brass or all chrome? Yes. Or yes. yes it's you didn't simp- even have to think about no, that. No, it's a simple answer across the board and again um, shop around and pick, uh, going back to talk about handles, um, in my kitchen I don't have any handles I've just got all knobs oh, okay? okay. and I was very 
I, I, I needed to know that the knob would work for me opening and closing the door the whole time and I felt if I had a handle I might get caught in the handle a little because I do everything I talk fast I eat fast I walk fast I do everything fast and I just can't slow down I'm not yeah. saying that's good but I'm kind of yeah, so sure, I could see yeah. myself getting a wallop with the handles but so some people want a mixture of handles and knobs some people want just knobs some people want just handles um, so it's a thing to think about before you rush out and buy them how you use the kitchen um, you know um, what's going to suit the family and the whole lot so you think you, a lot of people don't think about them but they can make a break a kitchen now if you are doing up if anybody's doing up a kitchen they're replacing a worktop they're replacing handles be careful when you're replacing you need to replace like for like or at least if you're getting the kitchen painted you need to make sure who's ever doing the ki- painting the kitchen for you that they're going to put the right product in the holes to fill where the handles were Oh, or right. otherwise you'll have a dint OK so you have to be very careful where, where that is uh, concerned OK uh, lots in about, yeah door handles seems to be a theme today that people are, are talking about but most of the time I see it's it's handles doorknobs I haven't seen in years yeah but there's all types of doorknobs so there's like if I if I go into um, a kitchen shop that um, we're getting a kitchen made from there's maybe four or five big boards Fran and they all have different knobs and handles and the whole lot so this knobs and handles are equally um, available but I would always say I have a big thing about designing kitchens and bathrooms so I want to know do, do you need um, how much storage space do you need in your bathroom because sometimes I'm, I'm going away from the handles but I'm not really how many how, what kind of storage do you need there for instance somebody might have a hot press so their bathroom doubles up as a lot of storage so they need to have a drawer unit in there maybe to mm. take all their towels and tea towels and whatever and the whole lot um, if I'm doing designing a kitchen which I do all day long my bathrooms and revamps and kitchen revamps are my bread and butter mm. um, I'm always conscious of for instance I have a lot of drawers in my kitchen this time instead of presses because you get stuff in the back of the presses friend and you never know yeah. what's yeah. inside there. so at least if you pull out a drawer you can see what's there so again it's functionality with your kitchen with your um, door handles with your knobs with your cooker if you're talking about a kitchen every single thing matters and while the handles might be the cheapest part of it and the least thought about they are very important and the look of the handles could make or break a certain design in the kitchen and a certain colour Very good question from a listener who's in an older house would like to change the lighting but is concerned about the wiring and all the electricity uh, implications Really, of that. really good question, good question. Yeah. and it's something that I just harp on about in, in every job if you're rechanging lighting or plugs or anything like that you have to get a recognised electrician yes that can then, and a lot of the time if it's very if it's an old house or old electrical work you'll need a new fuse box and the wires will need to be ran back to that again you know if you're adding on extra so you have to take that into account you have to take you? that yeah. into account so if you are thinking of upgrading or changing existing lighting or plugs or fittings it is 100% recommended that you get an electrician that is registered and often if I go into an old house the first thing I'll say right we're looking at the light but straight away there'll be qualified um, electrician come in that can sign off on all this work mm. because they will probably need they will need to upgrade the your fuse box and um, that'll need to be looked at Alright so you have to keep that But in, none of that is a big deal if you're dealing with um, tradespeople that are good at their job and know what they're talking about it, it, it's just a blank no 
if you get somebody out to do a job, they'll say, well, we won't touch this job unless you do it this way, right. with electrical All right, and okay, plumbing. But it's a very important, from, from a safety point of view, that that is correct. Uh, I'm just looking at the flooring on the mood board, and this particular one, what is that? Because that's gorgeous, isn't that it? That is, like it looks like mosaic tile. Yeah. What that is, it's a 12 by 12 tile, <coughs> so a 12 inch by 12 inch tile, so a normal standard size tile. Okay. And um, with that gorgeous design oh, on it, beautiful. so I um, thought it was mosaic. It looks like it, it looks so. like mosaic. So they're they're very very in vogue at the minute. Are they? So if yeah. you go into any good Thailand shop, you'll see lots of examples of these. Beautiful altogether. Are they slippy though? No, because that's at a front door. Yeah, there, that, so. they're not slippy. They are definitely an unslip tile. Okay, so it's it's lovely. And the other options were, I, I'm not mad about the the mat, uh, this thing here. No, the, no. it's a bit off putting, but it's a bit off I, putting, I, yeah. I took that picture so as we could see what it looked like to have um, a story of picture frames with a light over it. So the rug is not good. Right. Is that the traditional wood sort of the That parking? is, and that's parquet flooring, which parking, is huge. Yeah. It's back and it's available in solid wood or, par- or, or laminate. And the laminate in it is fantastic and it won't mark. Right. Because, stunning, isn't it? Because we have it in the house and it's been the bane of our yeah. lives in, in terms of... Because you have solid. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it marks so yeah, easy it does. and stuff. You so know. Any, any timber floor that's solid or semi-solid is going to mark. Yeah, any right. of the laminates that are available, they won't mark. There'll be certain maybe 10, 15, 20 year guarantee with them depending on the price that you pay. All right, okay. You're going to put that up I'm on your I'm going to put Instagram, that up on Instagram and Facebook. Right. If people want to talk to you, Karen, how can they it's, do that? My telephone number is 86 606 9009 that's 086-606-9009 I'm on Facebook um, Interior Concepts and Instagram Interior Concepts and I also have a website in interiorconcepts.ie Alright, so lovely to see you Karen and thanks, Thank you, thanks very much indeed News and information is on the way Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on You can't beat experience With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Thanks, Pat. Uh, welcome back to Tip Today, 1800-938-007. The text to WhatsApp is 83 The Conspiracy Files on Tip Today. And Ali is here with even more conspiracies for us. What are we looking at today, Ali? We're looking at sounds in the sky, Fran. And why we're looking at that is because I'm sure anyone um, familiar with the Bible will know that the book of Revelation says that the end of the world will be announced with the sound of seven trumpets. Each blowing of the trumpet brings a new apocalyptic event. And then after the seventh trumpet, Armageddon. Now, for centuries, people have reported low-frequency hums, the crack of thunder on a clear day, and even... Even the sound of cannon fire in the middle of nowhere. Mysterious sounds also, they've been recorded in the ocean, at the very bottom of the ocean, also in outer space. And they've been heard long before modern machines and industry. Now, with the, I suppose, explosion of mobile phones and technology at our fingertips, people have been able to record and share videos of these loud, unnatural sounds. But what do they mean? There was a particular explosion of these kind of strange sounds in the sky from about 2011 onwards. Nobody can really explain why. There are some arguments about, you know, possibly what they are, that it could be some kind of cosmic event, it could be a geological event, it could be something to do with technology or machinery. 
but they vary greatly. You will never hear the same kind of sounds depending on the region. It can be anything from what sounds almost like a trumpet to a hum to a metal grinding and some are even animalistic. So I have um, a a series of sounds that have been recorded uh, in recent years just to see what you think of them. Mm. Here is one. The first one that I'm going to show you is one that was recorded in Texas in 2019. Have a listen, see what you think. How scary is that? That was in the open air. In the open air. And that's the thing with these sounds, because even though that one, I think to me, sounds a bit animalistic, it it reverberates in the air and in in the area around you. So you can't pinpoint it to anything. It's just all around you. And that's what people who report these sounds, you can never pinpoint it to any particular location. Yeah, it's just in the air. And that's what scares people. The other one then, like they all sound very, very different. And this will be kind of a range of what people have been recording. This one is one from a remote woodland in Alaska. It was recorded in 2013. Maybe if we just went a bit further up, we might see something. Maybe it wasn't 2012, it was, it was 2013. <laughs> Fucking hell. Alright, okay. It's not an animal, is it? Oh, yeah. A little bit. And the, why I kept the voice in is you can really see how loud it is. Yeah, when you hear yeah. the voice, you hear how loud that sound is. And like the same with all of these noises that reverberated all around them. That one to me was kind of animalistic a little bit as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So now maybe it's just, it, it was quite foggy where they were. So maybe there was something to do with the fog, how it was able to carry sound. I'm not too sure, but uh, that was one from Alaska. But to get that sort of reverb sound, exactly. you'd want to be in a, a, I don't know, some sort of a, a cavern. Or you a, would, and you can hear, by the way, they're talking. Their voices don't reverberate the flat, same. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so it's very strange. Wow. This one, I think, is the freakiest one. This one was recorded in Finland, also in 2013.
And again, with that one, you can hear the sound of people walking in the snow. So you have a comparison in terms of sound that's there. But that one, and that one's kind of piercing. It's hard on the ear, that one. And it sounds almost mechanical. It does. It sounds like possibly aircraft of some supersonic. Yeah. uh, Now, that one was a clear sky. They had the camera up in the sky looking all around. There was nothing in the sky. It was just a sound that was coming. Now, some of the the strange sounds many can describe. Now, those ones are kind of animalistic or mechanical, depending on your own ear. Uh, Some of them then are like trumpets. Uh, This, again, was one that was recorded in very remote woodland in Alberta, Canada in 2012. musical that one well, isn't it? Well I was it? just going to say I mean you could emulate that on a synthesizer or yeah. something like that. And again that's in the air and it get a very remote area to me it sounds possibly mechanical but I do, if it was mecha- mechanical it probably wouldn't go on that long That's the th- and it wouldn't change smoothly the and way that it does. Are these one-off situations or certain geographical places, are they prone to these? As some areas, yes, some areas no. I mean it wouldn't necessarily be remote. I know the, the ones I gave there are mostly remote, the one in Finland, in Alberta as well, but um, China is a big one for these noises as well and they would be very urban in city Escapes. There have been uh, videos released of, of similar sounds in the sky as well. So it's not um, particularly remote areas that would get these sounds. It's kind of all over. Mm. Now, with these sounds as well, you can break them down into different categories. You can have the mechanical, animalistic, uh, the trumpet-like ones. But there's also the hum, which mm. is a famous one. Do you know about the hum? Uh, no, but you were telling me about hums earlier on. What, what about the hum? Well, the hum is something that... Um, I suppose research would show that they reckon upwards of 55% of people in the entire world can hear the hum. Now, the hum is a global phenomenon. It originated in Taos in New Mexico in the early 90s. And I have a report with some more information on it. Here it is. So I just woke up in the middle of the night and uh, heard this strong humming sound, kind of low, kind of like a... A lot of people who hear the hum, they they refer to it as a bunch of trucks idling nearby. It's this low-level, low-frequency, bass kind of sound. It's not something that affects everybody. In a survey of Taos residents, about 2% of the population claim to hear it. But to those few who can, the hum is more than just an annoyance. People say that the hum causes physical symptoms, sleeplessness, nausea, and it makes them nervous and anxious and depressed. And the U.S. government actually tried to verify it. They went to Taos with low-frequency sound-detecting equipment, and they heard nothing. 
There you go. No. And if yeah. you look into your research on the home, you know the thing that cures the home for a lot of people? What? A tinfoil hat. <laughs> Isn't Liter- that incredible? Literally a yeah, tinfoil hat. It stops the home. You, you hear a home. I hear the home, but now I have tinnitus. Yeah, well, me but too, it's very different to tinnitus. Like, you know the tinnitus, like it's in your ear, it's in your, your head, and yeah. it's a kind of a constantly. The hum is very different. The hum is like what they said in the report. It's like a diesel engine truck yes, that's driving low, low on a road. Yeah, yeah, far away from you, but it never fades. It's there constantly. But do you only hear it at home? I only hear it at home and I only hear it at night. Right. And are there pylons and stuff there, like that? There's some electricity cables and we wonder, is it that? And it's for, we're a house of four. Two of us always hear the hum, two of us don't. And we also have um, an internet router in our house as well that I think is really loud. I can always hear it. Nobody else can hear it, but I can always hear it. It drives me mad. So I don't know what that is. Is it because I've tinnitus? I don't know. Uh, Does it change frequencies I, or something in my yeah, ear I think that I pick things up? Certain people can pick up frequencies that other people can't. Possibly, yeah. but the hum is an interesting one, and it it was an American phenomenon for a long time, and it's now a global phenomenon. And even in Ireland, you'll see in group chats every so often. Did anyone hear that strange noise? last night it was like a hum and everyone was like no and then other people were like oh my god I hear that every night so the hum is a funny one because you know I, I don't think there are any from what I could see there is no reports in Ireland of any of these strange sounds mm. in the sky but the hum is there and is widely reported but it's in interesting that they went with uh, you know like up to date equipment and tried to measure yep. the hum and can't measure it, it. Can't. No. so you would imagine then if it's coming from some kind of electricity cable or a pylon or, or something that they would be able to measure it that way. But the fact they're not able to pick it up at all is very strange. Now, if you really delve into it online, I mean, there's a whole community of people who believe that there are underground tunnels being bored in every part of the world to protect the rich and the powerful for when the world falls apart. And that's what the sound is, is the construction of these tunnels. But there are different reasons for it. And I mean, you know, it's not just the sky where you'll hear sounds. Hang on, the rich and the famous will end up in Skihina Rinka. (laughs) Why not, Fran? What's Sorry, I wrong with it? We already see, have the case. I can see Elon Musk uh, really enjoying his time. Flying out. Yes. Well, he won't land in my field, that's for sure. Now, another interesting one is the Seneca guns. And the Seneca guns is one in America, and it's been around for a long, long time. It's commonly used for booms that residents hear. Now, this one is very specific to the region. It's Lake Seneca, and it's in the Finger Lakes region of New York. These have been heard for generations, for a long, long time, and people long believed that these were the ghosts of the War of Independence or the Civil War in the US. This is incredible. Have a listen to this one. Here's another recorded during a rainstorm. It's like cannon fire. They're exactly like cannon fire. And they're very different because in the rain, it's very short and Mm. fast, sporadic ones. Whereas when it's a bit clearer, it's it's the booming. It's a huge sound, isn't it? Yeah. 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 So they're strange. There are different um, theories maybe for that one, that it could be a skyquake. Because obviously it's not cannon fire in New York. Uh, What a skyquake is, 
it's like the sound of cannon fire or a sonic boom, which would kind of collate with what we're hearing in Seneca. And scientists believe that skyquakes have a variety of causes, including meteors, coronal mass ejections, escaping gas and collapsing landmasses. So these, the reason for this would all be geological. But the sound is incredible. I mean, it's even setting off car alarms and, you know, it, it's having a huge effect even on the geological environment around it. Now, the sky isn't kind of the only place where you'll hear sounds like I said you'll hear them underwater as well and this is a whole other episode and we'll get into that Mm. and the sounds you hear in space are absolutely incredible that's another episode that I'm going to have to bring you but when it comes to the underwater sounds hydrophones were originally placed under the water to track submarines but they picked up some strange sounds and also in space as I said a famous one from the underwater one is called the bloop This is one, they were able to put a hydrophone down into the deepest part of the ocean. And what they measured there was a loud kind of bloop, which they shouldn't have got at that level, they said, because there is no marine life at that level and they can't account for what that sound was. It's still being investigated to this day. There's another one of, um, it's almost an animalistic sound, And they think that this may be some deep water creature that they haven't discovered yet. So there are a lot of incidents of these kind of sounds being uh, reported. But when it comes to the sounds on land, harp is a big contributor to this, according to a lot of people. What HARP is, it's Project HARP, it's short for High Altitude Research Project. It's a joint venture of the United States Department of Defence and Canada's Department of Natural Defence or National Defence, created with the goal of studying ballistics of re-entry vehicles and collecting upper atmospheric data for research. Now, unlike conventional space launching methods that rely on rockets, HARP instead used very large guns to fire projectiles into the atmosphere at high speed, but many speculate that this has evolved so much that the project is able to manipulate the weather and even cause earthquakes. Good God. Now, you might remember the earthquake in Turkey and in Syria earlier this year in February. A lot of people were blaming that on HARP because it followed a lot of political tension at that time between the US, Turkey and Syria. And a few weeks later then... And do they indicate when when these tests are are taking place? Is there any indication? No. Now, they will maintain... HARP have always maintained that any test that they do does not have a direct impact on the meteorological situation or... um, on the weather for any country, that this these tests or this research is being conducted um, at a point that's so far out of our atmosphere that it won't affect us on Earth. But a lot of people will argue that that's not the case. Mm. Now, obviously, with some of these noises, there could be a natural explanation. Yeah. The sounds could be the result of solar plasma interacting with the Earth's magnetic field. We saw that a lot of people talking about the Northern Lights, which we've been seeing in Ireland mm. this week. That actually has a sound as well. Does it? And the sound of the Northern Lights, it's like a crackling or popping. And you might hear that in the air sometimes during the Aurora Borealis. So there's a lot that happens um, in space that we could be hearing on Earth that Mm. maybe we can't explain. So that's another theory. Now, if sky trumpets or sky quakes or acoustic gravity waves are naturally caused, then the question is, why weren't the sounds being reported long before March 2011? Because that's when there seems to be this explosion of reports. Now, another explanation 
And we always have this explanation for everything. UFOs. It could be UFOs. Yes, of course. Now, they're quick to point to the sky (laughs) trumpets, particularly as corroboration of their theories concerning aliens visiting our planet, that it could be just the the huge size of ships that are coming in from alien Mm. uh, planets. Or they're heralding their arrival. They're heralding their arrival. (laughs) Or it's causing such a stir in the atmosphere that it's creating some kind of noise. Obviously, there could be a human explanation. Mm. Uh, Many of the trumpets' videos are on internet... uh, probably most of them, could be hoaxes. It's not that difficult for a prankster to tweak audio or create a video in which a few of his friends just stand gawking at the sky saying, what's that noise? And then superimposing uh, well, the noise so, on some it. of those sounds, I couldn't see how you could. It's totally different yeah. the, from the voice on it. And yeah. you'd have a natural flow to it if there was some kind of... Yeah, edit, but, but, think, but even there? the enormity of some of those sounds, Huge. I don't think you could create in a, in a, in a sort of a, a speaker system or a sonic system. Yeah, you know? and it's getting so bad now that um, I suppose officials in certain cities are being asked to explain them or at least investigate them. One Canadian city has said that so-called sky trumpets heard were nothing more than the sound of a city worker doing maintenance on a heavy piece of equipment. So, I mean, look, it's easy to explain it away with that, but I think a lot of the sounds we heard here, especially the one from Finland, I don't mm-hmm. think you can explain that away. So, it, depending on, on, on which one you read, uh, you know, particularly with Harp and Project Bluebeam as well, which is another one that does research and studies yeah. that are similar to Harp, whether or not they're controlling the weather, um, you know, they will mm-hmm. also say they're killing people with microwaves and it's a way to usher in a new world order via simulation of a second coming of Christ. That's what a lot of people say. Now, for the religious among us, they will say that this could be a spiritual, there could be a spiritual explanation to this because the Bible has long spoken about sky trumpets. Um, So some see these sounds as demonically generated, believing that Satan's forces are attempting to frighten and confuse people. Others see the trumpets as divine in origin, believing them to be a warning that we're now living in the last days. So it all depends on what your own belief is. If you're scientifically minded, I'm sure you'd believe that, you know, there's some geological reason for it or there's some cosmic explanation for it. If you're religious, you will see the religious aspect of it. It kind of all depends on on what you're having yourself. But, you know, a lot of those sounds, they just can't be explained away. Fascinating, fascinating. So the end might be nigh. Might be nigh. We just—I think we've two more trumpets to wait on. Indeed. indeed. <laughs> then we'll know. Two more and counting. Um, what are you doing for us next time round with conspiracy files? I was you? going to continue with sounds because they're like this is a wide one, and you could go into the the sounds from space as well. Another one that I've been looking into lately is whether the moon is a fake landing base for alien <laughs> species. And it sounds ridiculous, but when you get into I'm it, sorry for laughing, you really yes. fall down that rabbit hole. There's a few I'm looking at. And I, again, I'd love some, um, I suppose, response from listeners. If there's anything they'd like us to delve into, uh, we'd love to do it. If there's uh, any right. conspiracy theory. Somebody says, into. Fran, that's a Bigfoot or a Yeti, says one of our. Yeah. And of course, that is the big conspiracy, isn't there is. it? And that there's is. a recent video that came out from a woman who was on a train, I think in Virginia, who took footage of what looks to be a Bigfoot. And it's great. The only problem with the Bigfoot is that it's all video footage and it's very hard to play that of here course, on radio. Yeah, so that's course, the only thing. Yeah. But we'll look at another way of doing it. It's a combination of animal and man. Is that, is that what Animal man, is? Yeah. 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 Somebody else saying, I have tinnitus uh, too, Ali. What I do is I put earplugs in my, my right ear in order to get uh, some sleep as soon as I go home. That's Karen. But the Kieran. sound is in your head Sorry, though, Kieran. Kieran. That's yeah. the problem. <laughs> sound plugs don't 
on stab tinnitus. Do yeah. you know, but it, my, my tinnitus would be like in really deep in the ear, though. Yeah, is yeah, that same, yours? same yeah. as that. Yeah, my, my left ear, but it's it's high pitched for me. Do you know, so. And I, I would get two pitches on both ears different oh, times do as you? well. Yeah. Oh, one could be, be very, low, one could be very high. That must be very disconcerting indeed. Well, you know, I, I have children, so I'm used to zoning out sounds. <laughs> but but what, what is it about? I mean, now that I've become conscious of this, I can hear it again, but for a while there. The tinnitus? Sort of, yeah. Really? It just becomes more. I think when it changes pitch, you hear it yeah, more maybe, easily. Maybe that's, maybe that's what it is. If yeah. it's at a constant low hum, you yeah. kind of don't take any notice. We should, we should moan pitch. about our ailments more. We should, program. shouldn't we? we? Let's fax next week. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Ali. Thanks. Good to see you. Thanks for uh, this week's uh, edition of The Conspiracy Files. Let's uh, take a break. 25 past 11 right now. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Now Matthew Perry was a friend to all, known the world over as uh, Chandler. Uh, always uh, seconds away from a great wisecrack and a show-stopping grin, but he was also suffering from uh, addiction for two decades. He spoke openly about his experience experiences with uh, substance use disorder and worked to help others to uh, uh, recover. Now, since his death, a viral mishmash of quotes from Perry has been uh, shared among his uh, fans, showing his hopes that he'd be remembered more for his work combating the stigma of addiction than for his role on Friends. Well, Michael Guerin is an addiction counsellor. He's spoken to us in the past and he joins me now. Michael, good morning to you. Good morning, friend. It's great to talk to you today, Michael. Thank you for taking our call. Um, when celebrities speak out about addiction and the like, is that helpful, Michael? Is that a good thing? I, I, I think in this case, yes, um, because I believe that Matthew Perry, certainly in his, in his later life, um, he spoke quite openly about his own struggle with um, drugs and alcohol. And indeed, because he was such an influential person back in the day in Friends, um, I think that message may have resonated with the audience and that he, he attempted at all times to destigmatize the illness of addiction. And he was very vocal on, on the, the point that, you know, that is lost on some people, that when somebody is in the active phase of alcoholism or substance misuse, it is not the case that they won't stop it is a case that they cannot stop. And I think I, like yourself, have been observing these sound bites on social media and stuff since he death. And he was very strong on that point that A, it is an illness. Sex B, it is a no-fault illness. It's neither the fault of the person that has it, nor the fault of those around them. And C, that people in the active phase are not necessarily continuing to drink or use um, because of a specific defect in character, they are doing so because that is the, min- the manner in which the illness manifests itself. Well, one of the clips in particular uh, that jumped out at me was a conversation he had with uh, P- Peter Hitchens, the author and the intellectual. And I was kind of surprised because I normally like uh, Peter Hitchens' uh, debates and uh, some of what he has to say. But he had no time at all for the notion of addiction and he seemed to be almost blaming the person and, you know, talking about self-control and making a decision and all of that. Did that surprise you? It, I wouldn't have known much about Peter Hitchens, to be honest, apart from I was aware of his existence before I, I saw that clip. Mm. Peter Hitchens is bang wrong in what he's saying. 
that it is if it was as simple as somebody suffering from an alcohol or drug dependence to make up their mind to stop based on logical sound information, the whole world would be doing it. Yes, in every country in the world, and Ireland is no different, it could be even at the higher end of it. Um, we have very high incidences of things like alcohol abuse and drug abuse and, and harmful gambling. So it's not a case of somebody making a decision based on an objective analysis of the state of their life to stop drinking or stop using drugs or in, anything like that. It is, is an illness, and in common with all illnesses, in a lot of cases, we need some level of professional treatment to get the person back in an even keel. Yeah, I found it very informative when Matthew Perry said that, you know, once he takes that first drink, he is no longer in control. Is that your experience, Michael? Yes, and I suppose that would be a mantra. It was the, the, the organisation that would be responsible for the care of most people in the world that are in recovery from alcohol abuse would be Alcoholics Anonymous. There are a few million members worldwide. And it's a mantra within the 12-step fellowship that the, the name of the game or the objective, if you like, is to stay away from the first drink one day at a time. So in other words, rather than contemplating the enormity of one's issues when it comes to alcohol misuse, they simply concentrate and take life in bite-sized pieces. So in other words, we don't pick up the first drink one day at a time and in so doing, one rules out the possibility of what Matthew Perry spoke about in that piece was one becomes powerless after they have taken the first drink and at that point, no amount of drink is enough. And in your experience, Michael, what is it that, like, for instance, I mean, I've, I've told listeners over the years, I love a, a glass of wine, for example. I love a, a pint of Guinness and sometimes I probably drink more than... I should, but I can have a glass or a pint and walk away. What What is different when it comes to an addict? I suppose what's different when it comes to an addict is that there is this, this obsessive um, um, fascination and desire that happens to the addict after they have taken the first drink, where the getting the next drink or pursuing the feeling that drink gives them um, become consuming um, to the detriment of everything else in their life. And I suppose the acid test as to whether somebody has an alcohol problem or not is that by and large they tend to start to suffer consequences from their drinking. In other words, they get in trouble with their family or their employer or finances or whatever. But these consequences aren't enough to get the person to stop drinking. And I suppose when we were dealing with, with families that was the great imponderable that families couldn't understand in that in the case of the alcoholic, it was blatantly obvious to everybody around them that their drinking was causing serious consequences, but that the person suffering from the illness was oblivious to the connection between the drinking and the consequences, if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense indeed. But it's also quite clear to me now why you would involve family in somebody's recovery, because if somebody of the intelligence of Peter Hitchens doesn't get it in terms of what it is to be an addict. Um, There needs to be an education on it, Michael. Yes, absolutely. You know, Peter Hitchens may be one of these people that was lucky enough not to be exposed to addiction um, within a circle I don't know. But I mean, like, people who suffer from addiction need to be treated with 
empathy and kindness and compassion because they are sufferers of an illness that they did not choose or elect to have rather than saying to them, it's simply a question of, of stopping should you wish to stop. And I suppose it cuts to the heart. The, the, the comments that Peter Hitchin has made um, are representative of a minority of society, I'd say, but they are nonetheless out there who believe alcoholism is a self-perpetuated, self-inflicted um, situation that is of the person's own making, and that isn't the truth or the case at all. It's interesting. And while we're talking about Matthew Perry here being a, a celebrity, sadly no longer uh, with us, do you have issues? Because I know I have issues of certain celebrities making use of the fact that they've conquered addiction as fodder for them being on a talk show or fodder for them writing a book about it. But it's also painting them in the light that, oh, we've, we've kicked this in some way. It, it's hard for people who are struggling with addiction to be hearing this, is it not, Michael? Well, I'm not, I'm not so sure that people who are, certainly people who are struggling with addiction may find it hard to, um, to stomach. I, I certainly know people that are, that are in recovery don't necessarily take much notice of individuals who might have recovered from an addiction and are using that um, experience or testimony then to sell books or, or talk shows mm. or that kind of thing. Mm. But there is a very high prevalence, I would imagine, or based on the stories that I have heard um, of a drinking and drug culture amongst these people who work in entertainment and are earning insane sums of money, like in America and so on and so forth, and as well in the music industry. So there, there's quite a lot around, and I suppose <clears throat> the people involved, if you like, they're living through self-promotion. And if an opportunity presents itself because of recovery from addiction or anything else, they're apt to take it. But I... I Certainly don't think, certainly within the field of addiction um, and within the core population of those in recovery, I don't think they necessarily take it very seriously. All right, Michael. Well, always good to talk to you today. Sadly, your line wasn't as good as we'd like it to be, but lovely, lovely to hear from you, Michael. And thank you for your time this morning. That's Michael Gearin there, who's an addiction uh, counsellor. Um, 1800-938-007. The text and WhatsApp is 083-311-3311. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter, or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Oh, uh, following on from Ali's uh, conspiracy piece with us uh, this morning, Molly was on and she says, Fran and Ali, I was in my yard three to five weeks ago at night. And I saw with my very own eyes a string of eight lights floating across the sky in the space of five minutes going from west to east. Wow. And were, were you not scared, I wonder, Molly? If I saw something like that, I'd be sort of running in and locking the door, I would imagine. Uh, yeah. And do you know we're getting an awful lot into about tinnitus? And it's something we'll try and go back to on, on the programme tomorrow and we'll get some expert or somebody to talk to us uh, about that because I say I suffer from it. I know my dad suffered very badly from it. A lot of people I know 
including Ellie suffering from tinnitus. So it's something that we'll uh, go back to on the programme tomorrow because I'd love to find out, could I get rid of the blooming thing in some way? All right, it is time for this. Hours to Protect. Brought to you by Tip FM, the IBI, and funded by Commission Naman with the television licence fee. Check out hourstoprotect.ie for more info. What better way to do your bit for the environment and improve your health at the same time than taking to two wheels? Not only does cycling reduce pollution, but it can also reduce the number of cars on the road leading to less traffic jams. Start Them Young is seen by many as the perfect approach to many things, probably none more so than cycling. Ray and Tina Clark run Racy Sports from their base in Clonmel. Ray would be the last to say it, but he brings decades of cycling experience to the project, having been a national champion, as well as representing Ireland on multiple occasions on road, track and mountain bike. Tina's background ranges from tour guide to customer service agent to retail manager. With the support of Cycling Ireland, they operate the Cycle Right project in schools across Tipperary. When we started trading, our initial business was to promote cycling in primary schools, educating children on road safety, how to cycle safely, how to look after themselves, but also to help those kids that maybe didn't have an opportunity to learn how to cycle, to give them um, a chance to sit on a bike, see how they go. If they um, are interested and they enjoy it, then maybe over the six weeks that we're with their school, they'll learn how to cycle. I've lost count, but it's somewhere close to 100 children in the last two years that have learned to cycle um, through the schools programme with us and countless other, there's thousands of other children have been given the road safety uh, structure and the assistance to learn how to cycle safely on the road. So that's where our business started. We can see ourselves going a different path. These days we're promoting children cycling with Clamel Cycling Club but also Down Syndrome Tipperary have invited us to work with their children to help them to learn how to cycle. So it's all different avenues. We started one way and now the spider web is growing, but we're loving it. Were you surprised at the number of children who didn't know how to cycle? Is that something that, that we've lost? I mean, my generation, we all knew how to cycle, but I think more and more younger children now don't have that, that skill. Yeah, Um what we're noticing is we're going to schools, as Tina just said, and predominantly we're with in the schools, the mainstream schools, we're with uh, fifth class, sixth class. So kids in that age category, 10, 11, 12 years of age. And I'm actually blown away by the amount of those kids that can't cycle. And even some of the kids have never sat on a bike. So you're starting from the basics of how to get on and off the bike correctly. So that was a surprise to me. It's a challenge, but we love it. As Tina just said, it's, it's, it's really, really um, rewarding when you see a kid that starts day one, cannot even sit on a bike correctly, and at the end of the sixth week, they're pedalling around the schoolyard. So that is so rewarding. Of all my years in cycling, it's it's touching 40 years um, one of the best experiences I've had over that time has uh, one particular kid he'll stay in my memory for un- until the day I pass away um, he got cycling his bike and he actually ran around the yard with his <laughs> hands in the air after, after learning how to ride a bike so that's so rewarding and 
yeah, that's that's exciting when you see that. that. That's nice. And not only that, the same kid, he taught his little sister how to cycle a few weeks later at home. So we got a picture from his dad sent it over. So yeah, you can pay it forward. It's an e- it's easy to see the benefits when you're working with children. Yeah, it's lovely. The whole green ethos, I mean, this series of programmes, Ours to Protect, is about the environment and climate change and that. I mean, the bicycle is such a, a great way of commuting and this, that and the other. You've also got the bike to work scheme. So there's a lot of incentives there for people to, to get out on two wheels and do their bit for the environment. Yeah, sure. Everybody knows. Um, we're, we're, we're hearing it morning, noon and night about the environment and, you know, where we're heading as 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 you know the human race where we're going so we need to do something to change that every single one of us and cycling walking is so environmentally friendly and in a town i can see it in clamel i've i've grown up in clamel lived in clamel my whole life the volumes of traffic each year is just growing and growing and growing um at four o'clock to six o'clock on the bypass there in Clonmel it is just a car park um, if you sat in your car on the bypass um, for 15 minutes and the following day at the same time if you rode your bike for 15 minutes up the bypass you would be probably doing two laps of the bypass in the same amount of time that you sat in your car so if we can get people just to if me and Tina with our small business can create um, a snowball effect with kids and then as they start to become teenagers and adults if their mindset is oh I'll go on the bike I only need to go to the far side of town instead of taking the car and that's our goal in, in what we're doing um, so if we can start to change kids the way they think about cycling and then if that happens and hopefully we would love to see that in Clonmel because that's our town in five years time ten years time that the bypass is now full of cyclists rather than full of cars and if that happens, brilliant but that's where we would like to see this going Hours to Protect brought to you by Tip FM the IBI and funded by Commission Naman with the television licence fee Check out ourstoprotect.ie for more info. And ours uh, to protect normally with us on a Monday, of course, and uh, you can enjoy more of those pieces uh, next Monday. Uh, now let's go back to the story we began with uh, this morning, that is the pause of the arrival of the international protection applicants to uh, Cashel. Dan joins me now. Dan, good morning to you. Morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed, Dan, and good to talk to you today. You think that's a good decision to, to pause the arrival of these people? Yeah, I do. I think fair play to the people of Cashel and fair play to Matthew McGrath in particular for getting the ball rolling and stopping it. Hmm. Um, we're seeing a lot of it lately, Fran, in small towns and villages. Hmm. And we have absolutely nothing against any of these people coming in. The problem is there's nothing here for them. Hmm. So how do you bring 70 to 100 people, let's say, into a small town like Cashel? There's absolutely nothing there for them. There's no support. They're brought into that hostel. They're just thrown there and they're expected to roam the streets and do nothing all day. Were you surprised to hear that, Dan? Or, or is that no, no surprise to you? No, it was no surprise to me, to be honest, because we've seen it here in Ross Gray, friend. Yeah. 
you know, our old convent now has been done up at the minute. There's 400 more displaced persons to come in to it, as far as we know. And what is the effect on, on the town, without being too specific for me, Dan, but what is the effect on the town of so many people coming in? Fran, it puts pressure on everything. There's, there's nothing here for the creators. There's no work for them. There's no real support for them. They're just, they roaming the streets doing nothing, like. Mm. But, like, it's not good for anybody. It's definitely not good for them. Mm. And I think a knock-on effect of them having nothing to do or having no jobs is a lot of them are turning to drink. So that brings its own problems with it. You see what went on last weekend here. Yeah, I saw some of the videos as well. And again, very, very unfortunate what was going it on. It was, yeah. it was. And I had the unfortunate to come across that uh, car that was stolen. But the the one that Shane, Shane Lee was talking yeah. to us about as, yeah. uh, as well. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Are, are people concerned around the town of Ross Gray then, Dan, are they? They're very concerned and they're not being listened to is the biggest thing. Yeah. There doesn't seem to be any support here for this. We've either concerns or either laughed at or were fobbed off. And as I said, there's none of us racists. We always welcome people into this town with open arms. It was never an issue. The issue is when trouble starts happening, then we have a problem with it. Because, of course, where resources are concerned, you probably don't have the kind of numbers of, of police that you'd, you'd like. We don't. We have a small station. And to be honest, it's not open half the time because they have the numbers. Yeah. And because they're, they're in a split district. Yes, and two lads were, were, were injured, of course, as well, recently as well. So. They were, yeah. And they're very lucky there wasn't somebody killed. Yeah. To be honest with you. And, as I said, I was there... And w- when, you say the, when you say the people aren't being listened to, Dan, who should be listening, do you think? Sure, friend, local politicians should be listening to us, but the trouble is, we've no sitting TD in Rossbury for the last number of years. But there's very little councillors can do about it. Yeah. And that's the way it is. They have no power, as you know yourself. Well, it seems uh, that, you know, there's very little even TDs can do about this because the, the Parliament yeah. seems to be a law unto itself that they're so desperate to find accommodation yeah. they can't afford yeah. to be consulting with local communities. Yeah, it's it's not right. We have genuine concerns and we should be listened to. Yeah. And our TDs should be representatives and they should be taking these people to task and saying, well, look, this needs to stop for a minute. We need proper answers here. We need to know who's coming in, where they're coming from, what we're going to do with them, and what supports are in place for them in these towns. But see, some of the TDs, of course, you know, they're towing the party line. Yeah, where, they are. Where, they're where afraid to talk about Yeah. Yeah, which isn't good either. That's what they're elected for, to, <clears throat> to address the people's concerns and to work for them. And Dan, what about, you know, I mean, the people you chat to around the town and uh, the, the like, Friends, what, what are they saying to you, Dan? Some of the people are afraid of what's going on because of these incidents that are happening. Yeah. Now, you can argue the point that Irish people are the same. There's incidents with... The, yeah, there is. But more and more we're seeing these incidents with these people coming in, unfortunately. And as I said, maybe through no fault of their own, they're bored off their minds, there's going to be trouble. Mm. And you know? the the incident that you're making <laughs> reference to over the last few days, I mean, Irish people were involved with that as well, were they? They were, yeah. They yeah. were, yeah. They were. Yeah. So, do you know, I'm not pointing the finger at any one particular group. Yes. But you know, is, is, it your, well. is it your fear that because of diversity and because of all sorts of other issues as well, whether it's drink or whatever, that there will be more of these clashes then, is that? I think there will be, to be honest with you. And I'm dreading it. If, I don't know, it's going to come to a head at some stage. You're going to see another fatal incident somewhere. 
and it's something we want to try and avoid, but how do we avoid it? Yeah, and, yeah. Do you know? Yeah. Because nobody wants trouble. Like, we all want to live peacefully. But but this is your this is your fear, obviously. This is the fear. It's the fear fear of a lot of people. Yeah. So like when you stand up and you voice concern and you're not being listened to or you're being called far right or racist, like where do you go from there? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and you I mean, you're making the point and I know it's true that over the the decades, Ross Gray would have welcomed people in, yeah. you know, yeah. from from other countries all because did. with the the meat factory there and stuff, you know, there was always yeah. workers in and yeah. all of that. Yeah, yeah, I have a lot of friends from all over the world. Like, you know, you meet people over the years, you get friendly with them. Yeah, of course. There's no issue with these people coming in. The issue is we're not being told anything about them coming. And next thing you turn around, you're driving up to the street one day, and there's a whole heap of people being dropped off. And you've seen I, that yourself, Dan. Yeah, yeah, we've seen it here in Ross yeah, and are they encouraged to I don't know join clubs, become part of the community? Is there? I don't know to be honest with you. I haven't spoken to too many of them. I had the pleasure of working with one man from Georgia last week. Um, very nice person. Mm. I'd stand beside him any day working. He's a brilliant worker. Right. You know, right. but from what I could get off of him, he was one of the the very few of them that's in that particular particular rest area working. Right, but but that man is from Georgia, so there's there's no war in Georgia. I mean, why did he tell you why he's here? No, he didn't really want to elaborate on it. I was trying to get a bit of information from him, but I couldn't. So you don't know what yeah. they're being told, or they been told not to tell you. Right. How but, does, do you know what I mean? But he's from Georgia, and he he's working here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and fair play to him. He's actually one of the ones that want to work. But you see, what we're seeing is we were told there, whatever it was, a year and a half ago, that, that we were going to be taking in Ukrainian families from the war. Yes. And all we've seen, really, around these small towns is you're seeing these clusters of young single men being brought in. <clears throat> and are these young men from Ukraine? From what I can make out, most of them are not. Are not from Ukraine, OK. They're not. And that's... Right. You know, you can nearly count on your hands the amount of Ukrainian families that are in these areas. Okay, so the others would be... The majority com- seems to be men. Right. And uh, do they come under that international protection applicant heading? Man, I couldn't you tell you either. You Maybe they do. I haven't had the pleasure right. of finding out too much about it, to be honest with you. But is that part of it as well, that we don't know, really? That's it. We don't know. We're not being told anything. If the government were up, up front and straight and told us, this is who they are, this is why they're here... Hmm. Maybe people that have a better understanding of it. Because I don't have to tell you, Dan, but I mean, if somebody's coming from a war-torn area where they've suffered incredible trauma and stuff, they need, uh, like, mental health assistance as well as everything else, you know? They do, of course. I don't think that's in place for them here, even when they are coming in from these war-torn areas. You see it yourself there. Some, let's say, one of our own, let's say, Irish person is suffering with mental health. You see how little support they have in this country. But you're little or no support, as we know, and, That's and, and the so. quality of the support when they do get it is questionable yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. But what do you do with it, like? You, you're kind of pessimistic about the future, Dan. Are you? That's you know. Yeah, worried about the future, to be honest, with young families, okay. and you know. Yeah. Have you a young family yourself? I have. And you have concerns about them, do you? That's yeah, true. Sure. Going on in the future, I would, yeah, if things keep going the way they're going. 
All right, Dan, really good to talk to you today, and thanks no, for that, Dan. Thank you, thank you. Bye-bye, Chino. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's uh, Dan speaking to us from uh, Ross Gray today, and that brings the programme to a close. Uh, Emma produced, Ellie looked after our content and our conspiracy files uh, today. Stephen is on the way with the Time Tunnel on the Lunchtime Show. He'll play Match 3, and Match 3 will be played right throughout the day. That's it for me. I'll speak to you tomorrow. You look after yourselves, won't you? Bye-bye. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.